everything that football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo. Back here with Sam Monson. Hi, Sam. What's up, Steve? I had no no sponsors, so we can talk now. Nice. We can talk at the top. We're going to fix every team in five minutes over two shows. How's that sound? Okay. Sounds good. Your team needs to be fixed. Even the Bucks. Even the Bucks. They won a championship. Every team needs to get fixed. So over the next two shows, we're going to fix every team in, air quotes, five minutes. Okay. Sound good? Sure. All right. Let's get right into it. No stories, nothing. Right into wow. it. AFC. We're going to start in the AFC East, and we'll go team by team. We'll discuss everything about their offseason and, and what they need to do. So let's start with the Buffalo Bills. Not a ton of cap space. A couple important free agents. Daryl Williams starting right tackle. Matt Milano starting linebacker. Trent Murphy contributing edge defender. Ty Inseki, my favorite swing tackle in the NFL. Love that guy. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Bills and where they need to go this offseason? I think they're in a pretty good spot, first and foremost. Um, they've done a lot of good things. Obviously, the Josh Allen giant leap forward was a huge help to their success. Uh, Stephon Diggs coming on board, big factor as well. That receiving core top to bottom now is now one of the best in the NFL. Um, Diggs, Gabriel Davis coming on as a rookie, even if he's limited in future, and this is like his ceiling right out of the gate year one. It's still a phenomenally uh, useful player to have as part of that receiving core. It's a great start. And gives you um, contingency, gives you breathing space if a guy like John Brown does get hurt or you move on from him or whatever. So they're in great uh, shape heading forward. The defense, I think, is the, the biggest issue. And then making sure that offensive line remains at a certain level. You know, they, they, they did the – the PFF mantra, they crept back toward average. They threw a lot at the offensive line, and they, they did. They got maybe above average, um, but they didn't. it didn't become a great offensive line. They've just nailed down a lot of important pieces that they're sort of guaranteed to be pretty good, um, and now they just need to make sure that that doesn't erode on them. I think it's very easy if you have successfully achieved creep back toward average to think it's easy and not, like, address it evermore. You know, you're like, oh – what we did is sort of hire these bunch of guys that are reasonably average and they kind of worked out. So we'll just we'll just do that again. We'll let this guy walk and we'll hire another average guy and boom, not a problem. But I think I think you sort of overestimate or underestimate rather how easy it is to um, to lose quality or lose capable average starters to an offensive line and suddenly have a problem. Yeah, I think speaking about that offensive line, Daryl Williams being a free agent, that's how they really got to average was having two above average tackles in Deion Dawkins and in Daryl Williams the interior still has some question marks so I, I do think the Bills need to address the offensive line I think they should do what they can to try to bring Daryl Williams back mm -hmm. um, and then you do have you have a, just a good solid tackle combination John Feliciano being a free agent at guard Brian Winters is a free agent at guard neither of those guys 
was really great. Cody Ford is kind of underachieved after being a second-round pick. So this definitely looks like a place that they should be addressing either earlier in the early in the draft or in free agency. I don't think they go Brandon Sheriff and Joe Tooney are the top free agent guards. I don't think they go that way. Um, but, you know, some of the – like the Matt Filer of the world. I'm, I'm going to send Matt Filer to every team. Number 94 on the PFF free He's agent. He's genuinely, board. I think, one of the most valuable – or not valuable, one of the most value – signings yes. in potentially in free agency that guy is i think legitimately quite good at at least two different positions on the offensive line and like he's the per this idea of look signing offensive lineman is risky needing to be at least average is extremely valuable he sort of takes i think both those two boxes in that i suspect he's quite a high floor guy and almost guarantees you above average play at one of two positions yeah so that's the type of player i think the bill should be looking at from an offensive line standpoint you mentioned the defense let's talk cornerback because we've talked about this as potentially a need and you know we repeat ourselves a little bit here on the pff nfl podcast we believe in volume in building the secondary bringing a whole bunch of cornerbacks in and seeing what sticks so you might hear this over and over again when we're fixing your particular team uh as one of the 32 but the bill's are once again in that spot. And they tried this last year. They brought in Josh Norman. They brought in Kevin Johnson, right? I mean, they had guys over the last couple of years that they've brought in and just tried to see what sticks. Still feel like they could do that one more time, even though your boy Levi Wallace is there. Well, that's his life. I've been saying that since he got there. His life is going to be the entire duration of his career. They are going to be trying to take his job every offseason. They'll, they'll bring in somebody to compete for the number two corner spot opposite um, Tredavious White and try and take the job away from Levi Wallace. And I just suspect that he's the kind of guy that will consistently hang on and keep winning that job either in camp or, or throughout the course of the season when he outperforms the guy above him. But yeah, I mean, that doesn't, I think he's a reasonably decent player, but that doesn't shock me. And I don't think it's the wrong, uh, the wrong course of action either to just be, you know, he's, he's of a level, right? He's a reasonable player, but he, not to the point where you're going to stop upgrading from him. Right, exactly. So I think, you know, cornerback's definitely a position, uh, you know, once again, uh, every team should be looking at. P Bill's pick at the back end of the first round. I do think there's good cornerback value there. Um, again, referencing the two-for-one drafts podcast, they're doing a great job breaking down all sorts of, uh, you know, draft prospects, but also what teams are going to do. I did hear them talk about the Bills, you know, looking at guard at the back end of the first round. I don't know that you necessarily want to force one in there, but I do love Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, a guy that, uh, probably the best pass-protecting guard in the draft, played tackle a little bit at USC, has some position flexibility. I think that'd be a really good fit. I don't think that the Bills, though, here's here's where things get dangerous for the Bills. If they look at their roster and say, AFC championship team, quarterbacks in place, receivers in place, we're a guard away, we're one more defensive lineman away, the roster a running is back not away. a running back away. Yeah, they, <laughs> they think they might be a running back away, and we've seen mock drafts <laughs> do that, right, and give them uh, Najee Harris back end of the first or whatever it is. There, you cannot fall into that lull where the roster feels really good and you just kind of like pick off a few needs here and there. You still have to add impact players. Wallace, by the way, his coverage grade wasn't great last year, but he had the best coverage numbers of any Bills cornerback. Allowed a pass rating of 81, allowed a uh, completion rate of 55.7. He's, he's a solid player. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that a team that we're crediting for being woke enough to sort of invite teams to run on them because they know that that's 
a better way of defending than it is to risk them passing over your head and scoring points left, right, and center would fall into the trap of thinking, hey, our running game wasn't amazing towards the end of the year. Let's draft Najee Harris in the first round, and that's how we get – that's how we go over the top. I don't know, man. I hope I'm not crediting them too much for that, but it feels it feels like that's a rough, you know, bit of cognitive dissonance to live with in your brain to be like, yeah, look, this is the way we play defense. At the same time, we need to go spend a first-round pick on a running back. If they do a better job run blocking up front on the interior – Right, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, hundred percent, are are the answers there to me. I mean, those are the guys that break tackles and just give them a little bit of space. And they're not going to create big plays. They're not explosive players, but they're going to maximize. Well, whether they whether they are the answers or not, the point is <laughs> they are more than good enough to be your run game if your run blocking is decent. Right, and the, like the easier thing to move that needle is definitely fixing the run blocking than it is to go from Singletary slash Moss to a Najee Harris or a Travis Etienne or whoever it is you want to pick in the draft. One more name. I know Star Lotalele uh, opted out last year, and he's technically back. But Alim McNeil, our number two interior defensive lineman in the draft out of NC State, 320 pounds, nimble moves. If the Bills continue to want to play the run against light boxes or with light boxes, he would be a great potential option for them at nose tackle to just, you know, play the run better than what they've had on the they interior. um they are apparently in the jj watt sweepstakes buffalo is one of the teams that is on his short list of teams to go to they didn't have an interior defender last season with more than 35 total pressures that was ed oliver and it took him 368 pass rushing snaps to get that many um i know i'm projecting i am projecting jj watt to the interior everywhere on the basis that i think that's where he should be playing there's a decent chance that he still views himself as an edge or that whatever team still views him as an edge. And they're kind of in the same spot in the edge. It's still Jerry Hughes and friends. So Jerry oh, yeah. Hughes had Even- 54 pressures. Nobody else had more than 39. Either way, J.J. Watt helps that defensive line. That's the point, yeah. J.J. Watt for, as an edge for them, opposite Jerry Hughes, or maybe with a little bit of movability. I mean, that's an upgrade over what Mario Addison has been, what A.J. Epinesa showed as a rookie. So J.J. Watt would absolutely upgrade that defensive front, which quietly did create more pressure this year than it did in previous years, Sure, uh, despite having some of those holes. So there we go. The bills are fixed. Done. Um, I think the, the story of their offseason, though, is like value guard, value nose tackle, value coin. Like it's, it's, it's just a whole bunch of value plays and maybe a J.J. Watt splash yeah i mean they're done last year was the big splash to make a giant seismic leap now you're in the afc championship game already your days of making you know massive leaps forward are probably done you now need just need to chip away at things all right staying in the afc east it's the miami dolphins and when you go to pff.com and you check out the miami dolphins offseason page the only free agents ryan fitzpatrick and ted karras so you've got a team that has the foundation laid for the future plus all sorts of extra draft capital. I mean, they are loaded. They're very well set up, man. They've got two picks uh, in the first round, two picks on day two, uh, three picks on day two, three picks on day three. That's eight total. We already know that they've added a ton of young players the last couple of years. They've got their number 10 in cap space. Dolphins are poised to make a big move here. Maybe a Deshaun Watson move. Honestly, that's the thing that they should be spending this entire offseason trying to get done. Um, I know that they have other holes. I know that they have other things they can fix. They have other places they can use that draft capital, but nothing, nothing would make a bigger difference to this team 
than securing a trade for Deshaun Watson. And they are uniquely positioned to be able to throw an absurd amount at Houston to make a trade happen. The Texans don't want to trade him. They are adamant that they do not want to trade their superstar quarterback. The quarterback wants out, at which point, like, you know, they, in order to make that happen, you either need Watson to cause all kinds of stink to just force their hand, or you need to come along with a trade deal that is big enough that they move off their position of this is not happening. And Miami is one of the few teams that are capable of throwing that kind of package at Houston without it being crippling to them moving on. Other teams could do it, but it would absolutely ruin the franchise for the next five years. It would be a Herschel Walker style of trade where, okay, you snagged Herschel Walker, but you just created the Dallas dynasty and you had nothing left to play with for the next several years. Other teams could do that, but Miami can do that and have really not that much damage done to them for the next couple of years. And in fact, be a net win because you got Watson. They've got all those first round picks. They've got high second round picks and they've got Tua, who is an attractive bargaining chip, I would think, for a team you're trying to prize the quarterback out of. Make that happen. The more I think about it, the more I agree. Watson to the Dolphins makes the most sense. We've talked about Russell Wilson. We talked about him on the daily, like what's his best fit? Well, if Russell Wilson, say, forced his hand in a trade and he had to go to the Saints or the Bears, whatever these other teams, right? They would have to give up so much that Wilson would be going to like a to a Texans-like situation, right? Yeah. He would be going to a depleted roster. If Watson goes to a team that does have to give up all of their future draft capital and whatever it is, he'd be going to another depleted roster from one to the other. The Dolphins might be the only team, to your point, uniquely positioned, right? Because of the youth, because the secondary is in really good shape, right? We're not going to go... We're going to go team by team and say corner, corner, corner. Dolphins are in pretty good shape when it comes to the secondary. And they've added so much youth over the last couple of years. I think the one question mark is still along that offensive line where they did start three rookies last year. And you do project a little bit of growth from those guys. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not completely sold at, on Austin Jackson at left tackle. They they used a first rounder on him, so he's going to be the guy. Um, but that would be my only real question is playmate, you know, add more playmakers, add to the offensive line. But I think Watson would absolutely be the play for the Dolphins. Yeah, and the difference between him and, and um, Russell Wilson in part is like he's seven years younger. Will, you, know, you might be tempted to throw a lot towards Seattle to bring in a Russell Wilson, but and I know quarterbacks are playing beyond 40, and you know Tom Brady's 43 years old, and technically you've got a, another decade plus of Russell Wilson yeah. if he's on the same avocado juice as Tom Brady. Um, but let's assume that that's not like a default for where, how – how late you think a quarterback can push his career, particularly an athletic one like Russell Wilson, those seven years are pretty important. Like you are getting Deshaun Watson at the absolute peak of his of the beginning of his prime. It, it's the perfect situation. Um, so you can give up a ton as long as you don't think it's going to absolutely ruin your franchise. And Miami has the, the ability to do that. Um, the offensive line for them, I think, is going to be a really interesting thing going forward because – they threw a reasonable amount at it last year in terms of young players. I don't know that any of them excelled year one, but obviously when you're throwing particularly high draft picks at an offensive line, you're going to give those guys some time. So Austin Jackson might have been the worst of the group, but he was the first-round pick, so he's going to have some breathing space unless they draft a Panay Sewell at the top of the first round. Um, Robert Hunt, I think, maybe was the best of the group, 
And he was, you know, the he was second. Good at, at right tackle, too. I mean, when, right. when he had to play out And there. that's where it gets complicated, right? Because if you draft a Panay Sewell on the basis that he's like a can't-miss prospect, Robert Hunt is probably the guy that misses out on the basis that he was the second-round pick, not the first. And suddenly your best player from last year on that offensive line is sitting on the bench while Austin Jackson, you hope, takes a giant step forward probably on the other side of the line. Like, that just suddenly becomes a big question mark. I think generally you could upgrade at any of the five spots that they have along that offensive line. Robert Hunt would be the one guy that I wouldn't screw with on the basis that he played well as a rookie, as a second-round pick. Right. But they're in this tricky spot now where you try and balance growing potential in year two versus just being better. Yeah, I mean, they paid Jesse Davis to be their future starting right tackle, and he has never posted a PFF grade higher than what Robert Hunt put put up as a rookie. So... Some decisions to be made up there. I think the Dolphins are going to look at it and say, yes, we invested in the O-line. It's all about playmakers now. And if they're if, if we're building around Tua, hypothetically, and they still have pick number three, everybody seems to be giving them a wide receiver. Obviously, I think the Dolphins would still benefit from trading down because if we're talking receiver, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith, like you can get one of those guys and accumulate more picks. Yeah. But if they're sitting there at three, are you happy with your guy Devontae Smith as their yeah, guy? So. I think that Jamar Chase is probably the best receiver from this group. But I find it really hard to separate him and Devontae Smith. And there might be 10 picks between them in the draft. So I'm, like, I'm, I'm with you that, yeah, you, if you're sitting at number three, you get the choice of all of them. Um, and if you like Jamar Chase way better because he's not, you know, 155 pounds like, uh, like Devontae Smith, sure, grab him. On the other hand, you could potentially trade back like seven spots in the draft and get the other one, and it's like one and one A. Are you are you getting worse by that pick? Devontae Smith very may well be a better NFL receiver than Jamar Chase. I, I don't know that there's much in it, and you could potentially get you know a couple of extra draft picks along with it. So I'm with you. I think if you're at number three and you want to go receiver, absolutely trade back. And to be honest, like even if so let's say you miss out on Devontae Smith and Waddle because he traded back. Like Rashad Bateman is going to go later in the first round. And there's not that much difference between him and those top guys either. Like you can get a top quality receiver somewhere else other than number three. Right now, Devontae Parker is the the best receiver on the team. Pretty clear there. We've seen flashes from Preston Wilson. And we've seen, you know, Williams. William, Preston Williams. We've seen, you know, Jakeem Grant and Lynn Bowden be change of pace types of players i want them doubling up at receiver this year though doubling up doubling up either, strategy either in the draft or in you know free agency as well you know that's i think that's where they need to go that i think is the one i like the idea of doubling up in the draft at receiver but i think if you want a guarantee like the one thing that denver did wrong they they, they would they did that right jerry judy kj hamler first and second round last year the problem is what if you go 0 and 2? Or what if you like what if neither of them dominates right off the bat? Whereas instead, if you go first round pick and a free agent that you have at least a reasonable degree of certainty is going to be of a certain level right off the bat, it's just a force multiplier versus the gamble that neither of the rookies dominate right off right right away. Do you think they go with one like a, a top guy, Will Fuller? All, all but assured to be the top guy. We just by the way, go back to last episode we went through all the franchise tags, right? what we think is going to happen. We do believe those top three wide receivers are going to get tagged. Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay. So if Will Fuller is the top guy, you know, Miami could be in play there. And he's a good complimentary piece to Devontae Parker, different style receiver. He is. I don't know that I would 
spend it on Will Fuller, but what if they went like further down that list and a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, who is not clearly isn't a number one at this point, you know, there were question marks about that when Antonio Brown left. And because of that, I think his market is like massively depressed. It's like, oh, look at what this guy can't do. Yeah. They go, yeah, but pay attention for a moment to what he can do. And let's say that we have number one taken care of elsewhere. Like if Juju becomes their slot receiver with rookie number one, you know, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Rashad Bateman, whoever it is, and um, Devontae Parker as the other side, like suddenly Juju becomes like a real weapon in that offense. We said five minutes. We might have to turn this into four Uh shows instead of two. Uh Uh-oh. Every team deserves all the love. That's the thing. And, you know, we may be expanding the number of shows we do. You guys said you wanted more shows. If you guys haven't filled out our survey, go find it. No, Tom, we've got too many responses. Too many responses? Stop. Yeah, no, no, don't go look for it. You said some people said some mean things to me, and you didn't even, you you filtered the mean stuff. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people that were saying that they didn't want to hear you talk about baseball anymore. It's a small sample size. They weren't all me. There was a lot of people that said they love the baseball. There analogies. were a couple. I th- I haven't like tallied it up, but I think it was pretty heavily. If negative. we get a clean tally, I will <laughs> alter my baseball yeah. analogies if if the data says the data to. backs it up. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, high level view of the Dolphins. Power move for Deshaun Watson. If not, power move at wide receiver. Go build around Tua like crazy. What do you Pass think? rushing D lineman would be great as well. Let's say for a second they don't make a move for Deshaun Watson, what do you think they should do at quarterback? Because that leaves them now with Tua and no safety net. To try and bring back Fitzmagic? You roll with Tua. Yeah. But you can't just, like, can't just be Tua and nothing, right? You've got to have something behind him. You know me. I mean, I would, I would take the Zach Wilson <laughs> or Justin Fields next Stop guy that's it. left. You, you want know? to do that again? Maybe. God. If I was in the building... I would just grab any old. I, I I wouldn't bring Fitz back. Yeah, I'd roll with Tua. I don't know. Maybe I would. He- maybe I would hedge with Fitz. If you draft Fields or Zach Wilson at number three, Tua's not starting anymore. Probably not. And not only is he not starting, but he's immediately late. Like he's Josh Rosen. I would not. I'm not completely ready to give up on Tua. Like as much as I like that strategy Agreed. of bringing QBs, and I'm not ready to give up on him. If I'm in the building. I'm probably trying to bring Fitz back. I think Fitz has a chance to be a starter for like the Patriots or Bears or the football team, whoever doesn't get a quarterback. Yeah. But I try to bring him back on the cheap. If not, it's like Tua or bust for just, me. Just so you're aware, I'm resigned right now to this no longer being 16 teams in, in this in this show. So I'm therefore going to continue this. Uh, okay. This. So so we're, we're, we're extending, right? So we're going... So when I we're bring giving up, every team a ton of love, yes. and we're just gonna have great football discussion yes. here. So when okay. I bring up this next topic, don't cut me off because we're we're not we're not chasing five minutes anymore. Okay. Um, where the hell was I gonna go with that before I I caution myself with a caveat? Fits and the quarterback and what the Dolphins uh, oh, should the, do. So the Alabama thing, right, is really interesting. I think for quarterbacks, we've got Tua already in the NFL, and we've got Mac Jones heading into it this year. When you look. When you watch the tape of those receivers, it's ridiculous. That offense is like a cheat code in college. But one, I mean, Tua in particular had four first-round wide receivers to and throw to. a second-round tight end. And, you know, great running back out of the back. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, he, his, he had a high-level NFL offense in the SEC, which cuts two different ways. You can look at that and you say, well, 
he gets massively overhyped as a draft prospect because he's so productive and it's so easy and he just he carves up SEC defenses and look how great he is, right? And he gets overinflated and he's a top five pick and we, we lose the run of ourselves a little bit. And then when he hits the NFL, it's not as good and we're like, oh, we, we let the Alabama thing get ahead of us and we, we boosted him too high. But I think it also cuts the other way where the biggest leap you have to make from a college quarterback to the NFL is the difference in the windows and the speed. That's the, the cliche, right, is the game yeah. has to slow down for you. And one of the things that that is is the speed where you have to look up, read whether a guy is open or not, and decide whether or not you're throwing him the ball. And in college, it's easy because Jerry Judy is five yards between him and the guy tra trailing, his, his, trailing him in coverage. It's a pretty simple read. Yes, Jerry Judy is open. Yes, I'm going to throw him the ball. Waddle the same thing. Oh, <laughs> look, there's nobody within 10 yards of him in the slot. Throw I'm going to throw him the ball. Yeah. In the NFL, you have to look up, and there's a dude right in his hip pocket, and you have to decide, is he actually open or not? Is he getting open? It's a whole different world of processing. And I don't think there's a bigger jump than there is between those Alabama quarterbacks and the NFL because they have the easiest picture to work from in college, and they're going to the NFL system where it's different. Even a guy like, like Josh Allen, uh, Daniel Jones, I think those guys in a weird way actually have it easier. It's this it's a really interesting dichotomy, I think, because we tend to look at it only through the, other, the lens of you had better or worse competition, and that's a good or a bad thing. Better competition helped you in college. Worse competition, or worse supporting cast, rather, hurt you. But actually, in a weird way, it probably helped them adjust to the NFL speed. Daniel Jones is used to throwing to guys that don't look open. Josh Allen is used to throwing to guys that don't look open. Tua is only used to throwing to guys that are wide the hell open, so, of course, it's going to take him longer to figure out what the hell open looks like in the NFL. So, this, your long-winded answer here yeah. is two is going to develop. He's actually going to develop later. He, there's a chance he could develop later. Yes. And you should stick with that. Right. I'm not making declarations one way or the other. He might never develop. He might not be a good quarterback at the NFL level. What I am saying is that if there is a defined developmental period for a quarterback – his logically should take longer than other quarterbacks because he is right. used to a completely different... Justin Herbert is a great example. Counterpoint. Right? Counterpoint really quick. Joe Burrow. Uh -huh. Joe Burrow at LSU through to Justin Jefferson, who now we have hindsight to say maybe he's the best receiver in that entire class. Sure. And they put him in the slot. Yep. Cheat code. Jamar Chase, who we have ranked as the top receiver in this class. Yeah. Terrace Marshall, who's going to be day two type of pick. So he's got three. Now, it's not the same, but he's got three legitimate and maybe the two best receivers of the last two years even with all these Alabama guys so Joe Burrow had a similar similar situation yeah we had fewer reservations about Burrow versus Tua uh -huh. we also saw Burrow in year one play really really well mm -hmm. you know and in the holes in his game feel like yeah that could be a big jump forward next year you know just throwing the ball down the field and you know, give him a deep thread and just overall he should improve there much like Josh Allen did this year so Joe Burrow has overcome it. So you could still evaluate players in these situations. I guess the question is, how do you do it? Yeah. And that's I mean, where I think we're trying to figure out, how do we weigh this stuff? I will say, one, Joe Burrow had significantly better grades that year than Tua has. He so even, even just isolating him, the standard was higher. Two, yes, he had great receivers to throw to, but they weren't as open as the Alabama guys, particularly collectively. That Alabama group is ridiculous, and it completely warps the picture that Tua is looking at versus the LSU guys. And even, 
like Chase uh, is amazing, but his tape is not his tape compared with Devontae Smith's tape, even just one on one. Devontae is open more than Chase is. Yeah. So agreed. It's a different type of picture. Like Joe Burrow, so many, so many of the plays where Chase is making a catch. Like it's it's actually hard to evaluate his part of it because the pass from Burrow is so absurdly on the money. I, I described when I when I wrote up Burrow last year, he was throwing 20, 30, 40 yard handoffs. Yeah. He was putting the ball in ridiculous to locations. the point to the point where Chase doesn't even need to adjust. Like right. he's got a guy in really close attendance in coverage and the ball drops here into his hand. Like he hasn't had to do anything other than catch it. You know what I mean? Whereas there's no adjustment from that point. So it's definitely, look, it's a factor. I'm not saying it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's the totality of what you're looking at. But what I am saying is that Alabama quarterbacks, the last two, Tua and Mac Jones, it's going to be, I think it's the hardest transition into the NFL in terms of the difference of the picture. Those guys are looking at on a play by play basis. So logically it should take them longer than a guy like Justin Herbert, who is already used to dealing with that picture on the college level. Just for perspective, you know, we, we chart ball location and, and all that stuff. Accuracy plus, that is our perfect throws, right? Joe Burrow's got the highest by two percentage points over anybody else in the last two draft classes. Yeah. So there was, I keep posing the question as like a hypothetical, like how do you evaluate these guys? There are ways to do it. I, I'm, I'm becoming a little gun-shy, though. I think the closest comp is actually to Baker Mayfield where it's like Baker was dealing with so many wide-open receivers for slightly different reasons. Like He had sure. some good receivers too, but he also played in the Big 12 where defense is optional. And again, it's like... They're getting do, better. Yeah. At the time, it was optional. Right. It's <laughs> like, okay, how do you... There's so many open receivers. What does that look like when you change the picture? And so I think th that's the closest comp. I think Burrow was dealing with enough adversity in terms of like covered receivers that it's a slightly different question, but I, I think Baker is actually a reasonable, um, a reasonable analog. So I'm trying to I'm trying to think from an Alabama standpoint what the comparison is through the years. Like how many college teams have had? I don't know. I don't, I don't think any's had yeah four wide receivers in the first round in two years. But like the USC in their heyday, after Carson Palmer, who was NFL prototype six five cannon for an arm, it was Matt Leinart. It was Mark Sanchez. John David Booty was in there, but um, it was M Matt Barkley. It was guys with lesser tools. Mm -hmm. Sanchez had a pretty good arm, but like he wasn't like a toolsy quarterback, right? Matt Leinart was definitely below average on the, the tools spectrum, right, yeah. as far as um, athleticism, velocity, and all that stuff. I wonder if that's the proxy for Bama and, tu and Tua and Mac Jones and whoever the next guy is. Uh, you know, this revolving door of stud playmakers, good quarterbacks. Like, let me just pose this. If A.J. McCarron was the quarterback for Alabama this year, uh -huh. this past year, is he a 90-plus PFF? Yeah. Is he Mac Jones? Probably. So that's a little concerning. And Yeah, and it's not just – there are other college teams, I think, that have probably spat out a similar run of wide receivers. Not like four first-rounders, but like four – NFL receivers with legitimate, you know, who are all on the field in the college at the same time. But the, the difference, I think, is that Alabama's are all fast and separate. They're not just like USC had a run of wide receivers for a while, but they featured guys like Mike Williams, you know, who was just yeah. massive and never really separated, but just want to jump ball every time it came in his direction. Right. 
Alabama's receivers are all fast. They all separate. They all have like the ability to run routes. They're not just big guys who win at the college at the at the catch point in college. So again, it's 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 complete. It's so far in one direction of that spectrum of what the pick quarterback is looking at. I honestly don't think we've ever seen a situation where it's been that extreme. So let me let me talk myself into this though, circling back and bringing it to the Dolphins. So Miami, yes. Tua had Devontae Parker, not a great separator, pretty good, but he's he's been good. He's become good in tandem with Ryan Fitzpatrick. YOLO balls, go up and get it. Not necessarily Tua's game. He's got some of those underneath guys we said, Smoke, Jakeem Grant, Lynn Bowden. What if it's just as simple as build the receiving court with similar style players as Alabama, not like you're going to have the four best receivers in the country. Just get guys who get open. Yeah. Right? The same thing we said about, you know, how do you build around Cam Newton? Get guys that can get open. Stop getting, you know, contested catch guys. So I'm if they don't get Deshaun Watson, build around Tua, double, triple up at receiver with good route runners and guys who get open because Tua does need – I think he plays like he needs that clearer picture. He moves quick through progressions, and mm. he can recognize open receivers and get it there. He's far less comfortable throwing into tight windows. And that's what – do you remember that scene on the sideline where Fitzpatrick was trying to teach him that lesson? He's like, sometimes you just don't have that picture. You can't go through one, through two, through three. You've got to go like one jump ball. Now, and it was kind of, you know, it was funny at the time because that's like Ryan Fitzpatrick bestowing the YOLO wisdom onto young Tua. But it also speaks to this, right? It's like sometimes you're not going to find a guy who's five yards open. Sometimes you just have to decide that this guy is as close as I'm going to see on this play and hit him. Or at least give him a chance. Right. So I agree. I think, and even in isolation, if you're picking between Chase and Devontae Smith, the Dolphins should probably go with Smith because I think he's the most likely to get separation on any given play. It's funny. I, as we're talking here, I tried to ask Austin and Renner of the two-for-one drafts, really quick, give me some wide receiver cores through the years that come up. I brought up USC. Uh, Renner brought up 2013 Clemson had... Sammy Watkins, mm -hmm. Martavis Bryant, right. and Mike Williams, young Mike Williams. Yeah. Um, Taj Boyd was the quarterback, put up pretty good numbers, didn't really do anything in the NFL. Um, the Golden Homer, Mike Renner, also brought up <laughs> Jimmy Clausen throwing to Michael Flo uh, Mike Floyd, Michael Floyd and Golden Tate. Yeah. They were awesome. Um, and then Troy Smith at Ohio State throwing to Santonio Holmes, Ted Ginn, and Anthony Gonzalez. So that's as close as you get in terms of like speed and separation. Yeah, all the, the previous Smith ones. won a Heisman and yeah. wasn't really a great NFL quarterback. But even those, you're like you're maxing out at three, and one of them is Anthony Gonzalez. It's like, yeah, I mean, first talking, round pick, first round receiver, right. and now <laughs> congressman, right? Isn't he? A yeah, con something like that. But right. Now you're, I mean, we're talking four of those guys Wait, for he, Alabama. He was a first rounder, right? Gonzalez? Did the Colts I take him in the first so. round? Let's find or out. Am I making that up? Holmes and Ginn was fascinating because they did everything he was the example you made earlier about uh you told me off air about rondell moore trying to get the ball in his hands yeah they that's all ohio state did with 10 ted ginn back he then. was a first round pick number 32 gonzalez Snuck first in. round pick so yeah i mean those th that was the year after craig krenzel was there another you know he was like a doctor right i mean you just not no <laughs> tools so that's why the mac jones evaluation is interesting you're trying to separate him from all of these Bama receivers. And he's so, got even, he complicates it even more by being like a statue. Like right. he doesn't even have the athleticism component where he can, know. you know, change things. So anyway, Miami, wide receivers, go get them. Yep. The Patriots, we're going to talk about Mac Jones here too. 
New England Patriots <laughs> and what they need to do to rebuild. Have you got that list handy? The betting favorites for uh, for Patriots yeah, quarterback. Yeah, let me let me find it. This I love that we're gonna we should just do an hour on each team. This just bums me out. Each team this deserves list. an hour. We're not getting an hour, but each um, team's getting more time than five minutes. Probably need I to rename see? the podcast. When did I even send this to you? Unless oh, I, we, uh, I quote tweeted it. Somewhere. Unless we go for, uh, unless we go for pure irony, fixing your team in five minutes, and each one is in each one, each one is half an a hour. Hours, yeah. Um, so New England has to figure out. Here we go. Here are the. This was as of last week, four days ago. The betting favorites for the New England Patriots starting quarterback in twenty twenty. I'm not going to give you the odds. I'll just give you the order. Right. Marcus Mariota. Okay. Jacoby Brissett. Oh. Jarrett Stidham. No. Is third. Come on. Cam Newton is fourth. Rookie quarterback is fifth. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert oh, God. is sixth. Andy Dalton, seventh. Deshaun Watson, eighth. Ten to one odds. Brian Hoyer, ninth. Jimmy Garoppolo, tenth. And Jimmy Garoppolo has the lowest odds because the 49ers said, hey, he's our guy. Like yeah. People are expecting the Niners to stick with Jimmy G and also not be in position necessarily to draft a new quarterback that's going to be ready to start. So that's why Garoppolo's at the bottom. Watson being on the list is like, hey, you're still in the trade right. market, potentially. That right? so. is a depressing list of quarterback options. This is why the Colts threw, or the, um, yeah, the Colts threw a first-round pick in Philadelphia's direction for Carson Wentz. Because if you don't, and it goes somewhere else, this is the picture you could be left with. So here's the thing, right? We've made the statement. Uh, do I need to rethink the statement that it's like, Hey, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world to go year to year at quarterback to to just grab a Philip Rivers one year. So the Colts, Philip Rivers one year. What if they just got Mariota for a year and just kept going year to year? Grab a Jameis for a year. There's always going to be a starting caliber quarterback out there. What if that's not the worst thing in the world? However, when you're when you're faced with this actual decision, hmm. it's it's not pretty. No, the I think the problem is that. For it to be a, an attractive proposition, everything else needs to be good already. Yeah. So I think you can do that. The, well, one, one, it takes an incredible amount of guts to basically saddle yourself with that as a concept. It's like, hey, our strategy is going to be rolling the dice year to year on a halfway viable quarterback being available to an already good roster that we think is capable of winning things. Like, just just going into a meeting and pitching that takes a hell of a lot of balls right yeah we're not going to have a really great answer at quarterback and that's actually going to be the plan what that i mean just that takes a hell of a man of guts what so here's here's my question what does bill belichick and what do the patriots think is a good enough quarterback to build around right like what is their baseline we joke about the dalton line from years ago jimmy garoppolo might be qb 15 in the nfl maybe he's lower now i don't know but if he's QB 15 in the NFL, are the Patriots happy? Like, if they would they be happy if Jimmy G did get released or whatever and they could bring him back? Or are, are they trying to find but, the next yeah. Tom? You're trying to find the next Tom Brady, but how much are you trying to uncover every rock? It's, but, by, by the way, all reports are they've exhausted. They're trying to exhaust all options, looking at trades, looking at everything like, like they should. But these betting lines are pointing toward Mariota, which is Their not problem now is exciting. that they're, they're not – in, they're not the team that we just described of a team that's got a good roster, a roster capable of winning well if you have a viable quarterback and you can go year to year. The Colts fit that description way more than the Patriots do. The Patriots right now might not have a playoff caliber roster and they don't have a quarterback. So now you're in a position, well, okay, 
getting a half-decent quarterback, Cam Newton, getting a viable starter in Cam Newton does nothing effectively for us. Not nothing. I would argue. But it doesn't, it doesn't take us from like where we are to the playoffs. We've seen that. It didn't. I think they're closer than we think, though. Because of cap space, I mean, this is this is there. There are some assumptions here, and the tricky part. Well, obviously, if they get better, <laughs> they're a better roster. Well, there's they, an assumption that they're going to spend the third most cap space, sixty-two million dollars. Okay, and find some viable football players. Sure. So the roster is going to be better. Recently on the PFF NFL Daily, I did compare it to back in two thousand when the Patriots brought in like eighteen veteran free agents, and eight of them started, and they went to the Super Bowl. Like they completely transformed a five and eleven roster into a Super Bowl winning team i'm not saying they're going to do that this year but it's like they're capable there's there's been other times belichick does have a history brady does is the baseline but belichick does have a history of taking a team that underachieved a little bit even with brady and then adding the necessary pieces to get to a super bowl the next year whether it's 2013 2006 like they were they were flawed teams where they added the necessary pieces if belichick still can do that it's a much more attractive situation. And honestly, even a Cam Newton coming back isn't as bad as it seems. It's not attractive. It's, it's not bad. exciting. But <laughs> if Newton, like, what does Cam Newton do with a better supporting cast? I don't know, but it didn't look great. It was really bad. Last the, I mean, the difference is that you had that baseline of knowing that if I put those necessary pieces in place, we're going to the Super Bowl again because we have Tom Brady at quarterback. Yeah, I get it. Now what you need to do is to say, okay, just like before, I have identified the weaknesses in this team i have found the missing pieces in the puzzle i have plugged them back in now i need you to come and be the quarterback that takes this to the super bowl again which is a tougher sell because now you have to sell somebody on that as opposed to well how do i know that it wasn't just brady all along and you know you just stuck a couple of pieces in every year and that's it didn't do anything or john brady just had a better year the next year it's just it's harder so belichick needs to a do exactly what you just described identify the the missing pieces of this puzzle, plug them all in, and then they need to sell that vision to a new quarterback. Yeah. I mean, so what do they ultimately do? Because I thought last year at this time, so let's just go back to last year at this time. Tom it's Brady, the same situation all over again. Well, Tom Brady said, I'm not going, not going back to New England right before free agency, right? He's out. The Pats got put into a very difficult cap situation, so they couldn't, you know, they were, they were basically screwed for this, this particular season. Yep. Plus, they had all the opt-outs. It was just it was going to be a bad year, and they didn't go and get anybody, right? Last year at this time, I was thinking, okay, Marcus Mariota's the guy. He's a free agent. He played well against the Patriots. Bill loves that. Right. They're going to go get Marcus Mariota. They didn't even make a play for him, and maybe it's because they were limited from a cap space standpoint. Now they're freed up, and they were like, look, we're going to suck it up for a year and see what happens in 2021. We're going to rebuild this thing. But I think if they're going to attract any kind of wide receiver or tight end, they need a plan. It can't be like, hey, we got Jared Stidham under contract. Mm -hmm. They do need a plan. And I that's, think Mariota is their best option. That's the other issue is that you have to do the same thing in reverse. You know, you can't. We've just been talking about it in terms of you need to assemble all the pieces and then convince a quarterback that it's worth his time. You need to do the opposite as well. You need to convince the pieces that you're trying to assemble that you have a quarterback. Otherwise, why would a wide receiver want to come? Like, it's a terrible situation right now in New England and you need to you need to convince both sides that you're going to have the the corresponding piece for it to mesh. Otherwise, neither one of them wants any part of what it is you're selling. They're in this horrible situation where their best bet might be to try and the only thing that removes that from the equation is a trade or the draft. 
where the guy that you're taking or trading for doesn't really have much of a say. Right. Now, the trade is complicated by the fact that the two main options, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, have no trade clauses. So you still need to convince either one of them that you have a plan. Otherwise, they're going to say, no, thanks. Right. New England's no longer attractive. Right. People aren't going to, to win Super Bowls in New England because Brady's not there. So where I'm coming to with this is, do is this the year where the Patriots make the insane play in the draft that people have speculated for for a while? They were apparently really interested in Baker Mayfield to the point where if he slid past the first couple of picks, they might have jumped way up in the draft to go looking for Baker Mayfield. Yep. Like, is this the year the Patriots just do something insane to make a monster leap in draft order and go get a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields? I could, see, and I'm curious to know which guy that is. Right? Sure. Is it Fields? Is it Lance? Like, Matt which Jones. guy do they think is? <laughs> a moldable piece of clay so fields is intriguing too because like look if you read tom brady's scouting report coming out obviously he's a completely different athlete from justin fields slow 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 but they were talking about brady being slow working through progressions i think they say that to everybody though right isn't that just the thing that gets thrown at if you don't Maybe. like a quarterback one of the things you're going to say about him is can't you know doesn't work through his progressions well yeah but like brady was coming out of this like really deep drop like play action system at michigan he looked nothing like the quarterback that the patriots molded him into sure. so i guess my it's also just a it's a feature of college quarterbacks a little bit i guess my point is the patriots have it garoppolo was a little bit slow he's a quick release guy but he was slow going through his progressions early in his patriots days new england could look at justin fields where that's probably the biggest knock on him is just there are times he just holds the ball a little bit too long, right? Takes sacks that he shouldn't take. They might look at that and be like, we fixed that before. Give me that raw material. I will make that work. I would be fascinated to know which guy it is. I, I, if I'm New England, I'd be all for that. I would be all for the power move to go get one of those top quarterbacks and just see what happens. Maybe even trade for Marcus Mariota as well. But I wrote an article coming out of last year's draft that said, life after Tom Brady is business as usual for New England. If we come out of this year... And it's business as usual. None of the they just like hey, if one of the if one of the top five QBs, including Mac Jones, falls, eh, we'll take him at fifteen. If not, we'll just play the draft. And they get another like linebacker safety hybrid in the draft, and you know another receiver that they might not hit on, and all that stuff. I mean, it's going to be ugly in New England. It is, and it, every time every time we talk this out a little bit, I realize another hurdle that makes it harder than it should be otherwise. Even if that is their plan, that they go crazy with the draft, they trade up to the top 10 somewhere to draft the quarterback that they want to grab. And we scoffed a little bit with Mac Jones, by the way, but the, the hype around him right now is insane. Like people are talking about Carolina at eight, right? Being the floor for a Mac Jones. Like New England at 15 may have to trade up a reasonable degree to get a Mac Jones, let alone the other guys that we think are clearly better than him. Um, yeah. But anyway, my point is, none of that happens till the draft, till late April. Right. Free agency is done and dusted by then. You Again, you need to convince the receivers that you have an answer at quarterback a month in advance if you're going to get those guys in the building. Unless you're planning on doing this entire thing through the draft, which strikes me as just an absurdly small target to be hitting. Oh, man. Yeah, so let's say the Patriots... Let's, the Patriots are boned. <laughs> unless they unless they just hit on a draft quarterback. Like They, they wait on Kyle Trask, and, and he becomes their guy. I mean, you, you hit on a second or third <laughs> rounder. Trask is the new Tom Brady. Just, you're okay. I'm just saying. Otherwise, you're in trouble. If they don't... So let's put QB aside for a minute here, because we still have, we have a couple more hours left on the Patriots analysis uh -huh. here. At receiver, what does their best-case scenario look like this offseason? Current depth chart. 
has Julian Edelman, who doesn't even know if his lower body can play anymore. Like he's not necessarily mulling retirement, but he's, you know, he's pretty banged up and 34 years old. Nikhil Harry, big bodied receiver who can't really separate all that well and is a good number four. Nikhil Harry, by the way, is going to have the Troy Williamson treatment in terms of every offseason. You're going to be hearing about how this is the year, right? He's fixed his footwork. He went and ran, yeah. he went and worked out with a guy who, incre- who improved his releases off the line. Every year there was a Troy Williamson story about, oh, he, he, uh, he got his eyes fixed. He got LASIK. Now he can see. He can catch the ball now, and we're good. Nikhil Harry's going to be that guy for like eight years. Yeah. Uh, so, and then Jacoby Myers, who is a legit number three. I mean, he could be a number two. The way he gets open and runs routes and all that stuff, you'd just prefer to him to be a number three, but the most dependable option on the roster right now. I mean, the only option on the, like, that's the thing. But they're two, like, it sounds ridiculous. Like, I, I was, I was three major league pitchers away from being a major league pitcher, right? I mean, that, not that far. They are two legitimate receivers away from putting Myers to number three and you, you move on from Edelman and you just push Harry down to gimmick player. So if they added, say, like a Curtis Samuel, we go back to Will Fuller. I mean, what combination of free agents in draft picks makes sense where you're actually looking at the Patriots and saying, okay, they're at least near top 15 at receiver from, you know, bottom three? So the problem is I think that the easiest way of achieving that is the route they've gone in the past in terms of trading for a proven good player. And the most obvious one is Allen Robinson, where – the Bears, I think, would certainly entertain a tag-and-trade option where you franchise tag him and then flip him to New England for a first-round pick plus something, I would assume. Um, the Patriots would have to give up the first, which they've done before, Brandon Cooks, um, and then they have to be prepared to pay Allen Robinson something healthy on the back end. But again, like you, you have to convince him that it's worth it because you have to extend him. So... But look, Allen Robinson, I think Jacoby Myers could genuinely be a half-decent number two. That guy had a PFF grade of 80, PFF receiving grade of 80 last season, by far the best of the Patriots. The only other guy above, like, 65 was Edelman, who barely played. Uh, Demir Bird had the next highest targets. He had a 63.3 grade. Um, Myers is not a bad player and does separate a half-decent degree relative to the other players players they have there. I, I think he is hurt by the fact that he's the only option that they have. Right. Um, and, you know, Cam Newton was his quarterback. Cam Newton is never going to be the most accurate passer in the world. So I think Myers could be a number two. If Allen Robinson was your number one, and then what you were trying to chase is that third receiving option, now you're not in a terrible spot, leaving aside for the moment that you also need to basically fire every tight end on the roster and bring in more ones that aren't, you know, awful. The risky part about Allen Robinson is the difference like if you if they tag and trade, you're giving up a first rounder plus. Yeah. For Allen Robinson. And so you there's need to your first him. round. Right. And you have to resign. So there's your first round pick. That's what on. I'm saying, is is you can you, you can almost either do one or the other. You can get a quarterback or you can get a wide receiver. You can't guarantee both. Tight end, Hunter Henry is the top one on, on the market. Johnu Smith is number two. There's not a ton of, you know, elite receiving tight ends out there hunter henry already said the qb situation matters when he's looking around yep as it should for all these guys right so i mean it's just not attractive the patriots going to new england again the patriots were massively enamored with john smith way back in the day i could see that being a a pretty smart and pretty good target for them so if they add alan robinson tag and trade add john new smith through free agency Uh you have jacoby myers as your number two and then you kind of hope Julian, like if Julian Edelman's healthy, he's yeah. a reasonable two. 
right? Him uh -huh. and Myers combined there. And Nikhil, and as long as Nikhil Harry, you're looking at him as the number four and as an end around screen guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, you get him in space. You, you, you treat him like Demarius Thomas, I mean, like a couple downfield throws and a couple shorts. Maybe uh, they short punt passes. on quarterback for another year. If that's if that is this offseason, if they go Allen Robinson, they somehow convince him they have a long term plan, sign him long term with a tag and trade. So Allen Robinson, Jacoby Myers, Jonu Smith, Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry. If that becomes your receiving core, plus what they have in the backfield, which is still talented in terms of pass catchers, even with free agents coming up, um, if that becomes your receiving group, that's workable. And you you sign whoever the short-term best option a quarterback is, um, even if it's something as uninspiring as Ryan Fitzpatrick. Whatever it is, just say we're punting on this for a year. We're getting all the pieces in place. We're going to be viable this year. Next year, we'll find the quarterback. And then next year, you just have to move heaven and earth and secure somebody. Yeah. Whether it's trade the hell up in the draft, whatever it is. If you say we're going to be 7-9 and nine this year with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, but at least we'll have weapons next year from a 7-9 and nine position, which probably puts us at like 15 in the draft again, we're going to jump up to the top five and draft somebody. All right, let's wrap it up on the Patriots offense here. The one thing I will say, in a year where agents and a lot of experts around the league anticipate good players getting cut, mid-level good NFL players getting cut that feels like the Patriots strength so I do think we're going to look at a reshaped roster I called it the Alshon Jeffries of the world guys that can I know he's been beat up but he's a good player he's going to be out on the open market there's going to be Alshon Jeffrey caliber players across all positions New England feels like the team that's going to mop up with their cap space get those guys on the cheap and rebuild this roster but it's all going to come down to QBs and receivers at and the end of the day. It's been a strength in the past, but I think this year is going to be really interesting to see if that was always a strength or if they, again, yes. just were riding Tom Brady. And it's a lot easier to polish a turd, so to speak, when you have Tom Brady to work with. I want to say the other side of the ball, Stephon Gilmore, potential trade candidate, right? He was in the mix. Like, would you trade Stephon Gilmore straight up for Allen Robinson if you're the Patriots? Yeah. Or if you're the Bears? I mean, both teams, it might be a – a viable move new england could give up some of their, their strength is on defense they could give up a little bit of their strength there they've got some depth at corner and leverage that to try to rebuild the offense because building like having a good defense the last two years a pretty good like which regressed last year just hasn't been the way to work hmm. so did we fix the patriots i don't know we put a whole bunch of hypotheticals no, out there that said didn't. it's not great and it took more than five minutes. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if either main event fighter lands a punch on Saturday. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code PFF to turn $1 into $100 if either fighter lands a punch. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Virginia. Call 888-532-3500. After the year we've all been through, saving money should be at the top of everyone's resolution list. So if you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, what are you doing? Switch to Mint Mobile. It's the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. Right, Sam? Yep. All over renewing my plan. We've been with Mint Mobile since the last time they were sponsoring the podcast, and it's it's perfect. I mean, it's insanely cheap compared to everything else, and it works exactly the same. This is a perfect example of how, you know, the world got better when everybody was allowed to work from home. Well, you just go online, you don't need the bricks and mortar stores, and you save a ton of money. Ideal. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash PFF. 
That's mintmobile.com slash PFF. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash PFF. All right, New York Jets. <laughs> How are we going to fix the New York Jets? Let's start with the quarterback question. Are the Jets just out there building up Sam Darnold's value? You know, look, if I was, if they gave me the job a couple years ago, I'd be doing the same thing. I might roll with Darnold. You never know. You, we might roll with Sam, but all but assured, assuredly, they're going to be drafting a QB at two. I don't know if it's all but assuredly. It should be. I think there's a very real chance that they are talking their way into Sam Darnold as a starting quarterback in 2021. I think that would be, I think that would be bad process. Um, they might get lucky and it works out in, well in their favor because this is the problem. I, I, there isn't, there's a chance that Sam Darnold turns it around, that the supporting cast issue was actually the main driving force in his struggles so far in the NFL, along with, you know, Mono. Um, and actually, Sam Darnold, surrounded with good players and a better system, will become the player they thought he was when they drafted him. My point is simply that you cannot possibly be confident in that right now. Therefore, choosing that as your strategy going forward is just bad process, whether or not it works out in your favor. Or right. well, you would be taking a big gamble in, in a in an odds in odds that are not in your favor, which I just think is a bad way of building a team. So there are people out there that will convince you that Sam Darnold should be the starter going forward. I just think that that's playing the bad end of the percentages. So the Jets do have a speaking of reshaping rosters. They're second in cap space. They have plenty of places to attack from a free agent standpoint. Marcus May is the biggest one. He's number 22 on the PFF free agent board. They're you know, already, of all the free agent safeties, it seems like he's the closest to a long-term deal with the Jets, 27 years old. That'd be great. Do it all safety, fit into Robert Sala's defense, perfectly fine, uh, no matter which role they put him in, to be honest. It's not like the rest of their free agents are going to you – know, Brian Poole's probably the most efficient, sneaky, good free agent. He's number 50 on our board, slot corner. Other than that, they're not losing a ton. Bradley McDougald, who I used to love. Bad year last year, though. Mm. Um, so, no matter what, at quarterback, they attacked the offensive line last year. Still need to do a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And the same thing as we've said with the last three teams, playmakers, playmakers, playmakers. Darnold's PFF grades, 65, 64, 58. Um, and his passing grade was 53. That is, those are as bad as the bad Josh Allen years. You know, Did where his... everybody was writing off yep. Josh Allen. Now... The situations are not the same. Did his situation get worse every year? Probably. Um, so they tried to make it better and it right. got worse. Whereas Josh Allen's situation has improved every year since they drafted him. You can make the case that Sam Darnold has gotten in the on the in the opposite direction. But the point is, like his entire career baseline is bad. Josh Allen before Josh Allen got really good. Uh, and again, like so, you can look at his tape and you can see special throws and special plays. Even last season, remember that crazy run? Like he's one of three quarterbacks with a forty-five yard touchdown. That was run. nuts, yeah. Um, and the other two are, you know, hyper athletic, crazy superstars. You can convince yourself that Sam Darnold is capable of special things, but you you cannot convince yourself that he's shown enough that you rely on him being your starter over Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or whoever it is you think is the second best quarterback at number two. It's just, it's a bad gamble to make. I think whether you keep him or trade him, you have to move on from him as the starter on paper. So yeah, I think Zach Wilson should be the guy. He's number two on our draft board. I think he's going to be number two on most at the end of the day here. Zach Wilson from BYU. Number one in a few. 
some people have him over Trevor Lawrence. That is the rumor. And what can they get? You just flip Sam Donald. Or you just sit him there as your backup. Look, I mean, why not hedge? I mean, if you go in and evaluate and you're like, you know what? There's a chance Sam Donald's pretty good. We don't know. We didn't have a great situation. Sam Donald isn't going to another team to become a starter unless it's – he would go to another team as a starter in like desperate times, right? Patriots. (laughs) Like the New England situation we just talked about, right? Yeah. So why not just hold on to him as a backup? Because there's a chance he's better than he showed. There is. Can I get – because – this is all I'm going to go all uh, well. Fifth year option is the only thing. Well, fifth year option and New York media market for a quarterback that's just been there for three years and you've basically pulled the rug, rug out from under his feet. I, I mean, it's just it's just get rid a of a fairly him. toxic situation. I would have thought they those guys. Can you imagine like every single week that dude has to show up and answer questions about hey, what's it like watching watching a rookie have your job no, from the bench? Backup quarterback doesn't do media hits. They're not. They're not going to do interviews. Well, they're no going to be asking, they're gonna be asking the Zach Wilson what it's like having Sam Darnold watching him take his job. I just think if you're at the point where you take the job away from him, flip him for whatever you can get for him, and move on. You're you're too soft to be a GM in New York. Yeah, you're, you're too that's soft. Fine. I'll, I don't want to be in New York. New York anyway. No, good point. I'll go somewhere else. Cost I'm a, I'm a smaller city kind of guy. In Jacksonville, maybe. Well, maybe not that small. <laughs> somewhere in the mid-tier, like Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a good yeah. spot. Um, all right, so how do we build? Let's let's say we draft Zach Wilson. Okay. How do we make his life easier? They need receiver help as well, I think. I know they, you know, they invested a little bit in it last year, Denzel Mims, who I mean, by the way, can I is it victory lap time for the Denzel Mims thing? Jazz fans were so mad at me. In his sixty nine point four grade, you're gonna victory lap off of a sixty nine point four. That's why I'm victory grade. lapping. Jets fans were so mad at me last year after the draft where I said, I love Denzel Mims, and this is the worst possible place for him to land. There is no shot he will look good in year one. And they were so pissed off that I said that, and that's exactly what's happened. Horrible, toxic situation. Injury didn't help, um, and he hasn't looked good yet. So, you know, he's at least still there. He's potentially a weapon for them to play with. But, you know, you've got Brashad Perriman. You've got Crowder, who is – a lot of money He's for do what he does. He's a lot of money, yeah. Um, but is arguably the best receiver and has been for a long time. They, they need they need to invest there. So Crowder, I, you know, I think he's going to make like $14 million or something, right? He is... He saves a, 10.4 to cut him. But he's a lot like that Jacoby Myers situation where if he's the third option, oh, he's a you're good like, player. wow, that yep. is great. And we even said coming into the year, a lot of what-ifs. If Brashad Perryman is healthy and does what he did in Tampa Bay as a legit deep threat, if Denzel Mims becomes what you think he can become and does mesh with Darnold, all of a sudden, it's a decent receiving core, but those what-ifs didn't necessarily happen. So Crowder being a part of the team is fine as long as those first two options are looking good. Um, I think receiver on the turn, they have a second first-round pick. I think receiver back end of the first or in the on the turn would be great in the draft. I think attacking it through free agency – would be fantastic. I mean, they need to they need to do that. Um, just add some kind of playmakers. Chris Herndon at tight end. I mean, even he's the question mark, even though there was a point where he looked like he'd be one of the better receiving tight ends in the NFL. So that's a place where they need to attack as well. Offensive line, ton of resources thrown at it. Not like a lot of money, but just a lot of darts thrown mm-hmm. last year. And the only one that hit was Makai Becton at left tackle. Uh, Connor McGovern could still be good at center, but you you got to go throw more darts right on the offensive line for your future 
Zach Wilson quarterback? Yeah, I mean, they highlight how hard it is to just throw a lot of resources at the offensive line and expect all of it to work out. I mean, we, we ran the math last year. Actually, I say we. Some our, One of our listeners ran the math and told us what the math was. That's, that's how we function here at the uh, PFF NFL podcast. Like do math for us. Yeah, but it was like if all those guys that they added on the offensive line were 50-50 propositions, they basically have a 132 chance of being an average offensive line. It's just, it's very unlikely. And that's kind of what we saw that, yeah, you're going to hit on one or two. You're not going to hit on all five of them. It's just, it's too hard. So they still need to keep rolling the dice. Like keep swinging at the offensive line and ideally not, ex- not using exp- uh, a lot of expenses until you get that average across the board offensive line. I think the George Fance deal is the tough one because you, you're paying them 10 million a year. I don't want him as my starting right tackle. No. We talk about their second first-round pick. That is good value in the draft, whether it's Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. I mentioned Elijah Vera Tucker before as a guard slash tackle, probably more of a guard. But even like early second-round value, we have uh, number 34 on our board, Dylan Radons from North Dakota State. Samuel Cosme's at 36. Texas tackle, Alex Leatherwood, Alabama tackle, and Walker Little, Stanford tackle. All those guys are in the top 40 on the PFF draft board. I think the Jets have a chance in the first round to get Zach Wilson, maybe a receiver at uh, in the 20s, and then a starting tackle on the turn. And it's just, it's all offense. I understand that. They have massive issues at cornerback. The But the, I could see that being a, a huge win for the Jets. The Jets are one of the most fun teams. If you go to the, uh, the PFF drafts, mock draft sim, uh, you just hit that in Google or the website. But if you go to the PFF mock draft sim where you can draft essentially for any team you want or all of them if you fancy it, uh, the Jets are like the most fun team to play with because you can legitimately construct these scenarios where you come out with like three home run picks in the first three picks. You know, like the way we yeah. you came out of Dallas's draft last year and you're like, this is absurd. Like the value that they got every single pick. You can make those picks with the Jets and in like the first round and a half, be like, right, done, fixed. On to the next, like, on the yeah, next two, year. Two first rounders, three more picks on day two, five more on day three. If you are using the mock draft, Sam, just keep, you know, trade down, trade down, trade down, see all the talent you can add. I mean, that's, if they did that this offseason, that completely, it's a reshape the roster type of year. Yeah. Because between cap space plus 10 draft picks. And that's why like, when we were during the season, it's like, hey, what's the best place for Trevor Lawrence? Like, the Jets looked like a great spot. Um, the Jags are a good spot too because they've got similar breakdown, but, um, so cornerback is the other position. Again, when we're looking at the Jets being bad the last couple of years, it's because they couldn't st- uh, pass the ball, stop the pass, right? So they need to attack cornerback as well. Their Brian Poole was their best returning option, as I mentioned, and he's a free agent. Bryce Hall might be a projected starter. Liked him as a developmental guy last year, but, yeah. I mean, that's it. Uh, they've got some question marks here. They do. Um, and we've talked before about how this cornerback class in free agency is kind of chaos, gambles everywhere. Pick your favorite two gambles and, you know, try and maximize what you're going to get out of that. Do you try to get a Richard Sherman with his buddy Robert Sala? Or are you just like, now we're in complete rebuild mode. We're not getting a 33-year-old corner. I don't think it would hurt if you brought him in, like, again, in, in addition to another gamble. Maybe they bring in the San Francisco star. <laughs> they bring in Sherman and Verrett and hope that out of the two of them, at least one of them works out. You know, if if you get a Richard Sherman playing reasonably well in his twilight years plus a Bryce Hall and, you know, Jason Verrett gives you six games before getting injured and, and, you know, being done. That's not a bad return. Now, John Gruden made the point on Chris Collinsworth podcast 
that like I would I want a Richard Sherman on my roster to help yeah, teach the young guys. It's a guys. mentor thing. And there's you, value to that. Could you grab a JC Horn? Maybe he's there in the twenties, maybe not. But hypothetically, a JC Horn and a Richard Sherman. JC yeah. Horn, the South Carolina corner. And it's like, all right, Sherm, you know, I think Sherman teach my young guys how to yeah, play the, my, our system. In addition to playing well, in addition to playing himself, I think Sherman helps whether it's a rookie, whether it's a young guy already on the roster like Bryce Hall, I think Sherman helps everybody in that building get better by virtue of who he is and how he goes about things. My feeling from the Jets, not from the Jets, but my feeling on how I would do this, I would attack offense if I'm the Jets. So make life easier for Zach Wilson, get playmakers, more darts on the offensive line. Defensively, I think it might be fewer splash plays at corner just because you're playing your Seattle three and you might have differently valued players you might be able to find efficient players who are day two type of picks day three type of picks or middle tier free agency type of guys rather than the big names so that's my feeling is you stitch it together a corner with guys that fit and attack big names offensively and, and reshape that roster yeah and i think because of the gambles associated with the free agent group i think you're going to be able to get reasonable gambles at cornerback for not much money you know like a guy quentin dunbar who we said last year was a great fit in Seattle um, based off what we'd seen of him in Washington before they changed schemes. I mean, that make, that's the same thing in the Jets now. It's, it's a good fit. Doesn't mean it'll work out. We've only really seen one good year from Quentin Dunbar. But theoretically, that's a gamble that I would be willing to – I would be happy to take, particularly if you pair him with a Richard Sherman and you, you know, maybe teach him some tricks of the trade, so to speak. Like, that's absolutely a gamble that I would take. I like it. Jets fixed. Are we going to make it through the AFC North? Probably not. How are we doing this? I don't know. Let's, Let's keep decide. Going. Where are we going? Just keep going? Yeah, yeah. I'll just name just more roll. teams. Just roll. To the AFC North, Baltimore Ravens. Are we just going to do every team in the NFL in a 12-hour sitting right now, and then we'll just break it up? Yeah, smart. <laughs> don't lose energy. Keep the energy up for each team. Baltimore Ravens. We're starting fresh here. We're definitely going to need the DoorDash coffee at that point. Get the coffee here. Somebody deliver more Starbucks to us. All right. Baltimore Ravens. They are number 13 in cap space, 18 million at the moment. Just your standard seven draft picks, one on day one, two on day two, four on day three, standard across the board. Pretty mid-level assets when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens. We have the biggest team need listed at wide receiver. Mm -hmm. I think we've discussed this a few times. That is what they need to figure out, right? How do we get more out of this passing attack? Yeah. Um, and I'm not even 100% convinced that, you know, elite number one wide receiver fixes everything. I, I think that this might be a, a, an offense that is characteristically different from other offenses that doesn't necessarily function the same way. So, you know, P I think PFF, the main Twitter account, tweeted out this idea that Lamar Jackson has never had a receiver go over, I forget what it was, like 800 yards or something insane. And it's like, get that man a number one receiver. I don't know that that fixes all the ills, but I think at this point, there's enough question marks that you owe it to the team to find out. That might not, it might not do it. But I think at this point, it's the easiest answer to what the problems are that we need to find out. Let's, what happens when you throw an elite receiver in there? Does it still look the same? At which point we need to figure out what the actual issue is. Or does that actually fix it and everything's fine again? So, yeah, number one wide receiver. Find the best player you can and plug them in there and see what happens. See, my question is, you're not going to stop running the ball. So Baltimore's still going to be one yep. of the most run-heavy teams, probably one of the most efficient run running teams. You're still going to be running with Lamar mm -hmm. and all those backs. My question for this offense is, do you want, like, 
Corey Davis. Would you even want a Corey Davis on your team? A number two, kind of gets open at the intermediate level, catch some contested catch stuff. Do you even want that? Or do you only – I know we put Will Fuller with every team. But do you only want Will Fullers and Marquise Browns and guys – and then your slot guy is who they drafted last year, Devin Duvernay, running back skills in the slot. Do you only want players who are either space players – or it's almost like what they're building with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. Do you only want space players – or speed players, and your traditional 6'2", outside receiver, just you don't even want him in this offense. Because I kind of want to see what this looks like if it's just speed and gimmick guys anyway. I I want the guy that can do everything. I want all the guys that are going to get franchise tagged. <laughs> I want Chris Godwin. I want Allen Robinson. I want the true number ones that can win on the outside and win contested catches um, or in the draft, but they're probably all going to be gone before Baltimore picks. I, I don't want... Will Fuller, I don't think, answers the question for you. The question of what does this look like with a true number one receiver in there, I think all Will Fuller is doing is giving you a different version of Marquise Brown. I don't think it's answering the question. they're both on the field at the same time. But again, I I don't think that that answers answers the question that you're posing, which is does an elite receiver fix the ills that are currently there with this passing game? Well, maybe it's the wrong question then. Maybe it is. The, the, the question is how do – no, because the question I posed was how do you fix this passing attack? I didn't say do you need – you asked that. If you, I, think you need that's an elite the, I think that is the question is does an elite receiver fix this offense, this passing offense? I think my question is what's the most efficient player to add to this offense? So, like, if they got like – Curtis Samuel is another guy that has wide receiver, running back skills that you're like, okay, if, the, if Baltimore gets his hands on that guy. I, my thing is – Sign the guys where the rest of the league is afraid, right? If if you sign Kenny Galladay, say, the rest of the league's like, wow, you just put a really good receiver in Baltimore. He's going to get fewer targets, probably fewer opportunities. Numbers are going to be down across the board. They'll be difficult to defend, but you're probably not maximizing Kenny Galladay's value. If you, like When you add Stephon Diggs to the Bills, you're like, okay, they're going to pass like crazy. And he's going to be one of three options, and it's going to be tough to defend. If you had Curtis Samuel to the Ravens, you're like, oh, man, we just gave him another running back wide receiver hybrid. That's scary. They're going to find a way to use him, and defenses are going to be afraid of that. If you had Will Fuller to where Marquise Brown already is, and it's like, man, we got to defend the run game, and now how dangerous is play action off of that with two ridiculous vertical threats that you can move to the slot and move outside? Those are scary propositions. We're and probably as scary as a Kenny Galladay or an Allen Robinson. I don't know that that's true. To me, the scarier, to me, the thing, the issue with this Baltimore passing attack, and this is assuming that the issue is a personnel one, which I think is the big unanswered question, is whether that is true or not. I think you answer that question more by adding a skill set that is missing from this personnel group currently there than you do by adding the same skill set, but therefore doubling that skill set. So we already have a Marquise Brown who has a lot of the things we're talking about. What if we have two Marquise Browns? I think you actually answer way better whether the issue is personnel or scheme if you add a skill set that is currently missing, an Allen Robinson, a Chris Godwin, a guy that can win everywhere, including contested catches, including physically at the catch point, than you do by just doubling the skill set that's currently already there. Because I think ultimately what you want to get to is knowing whether or not the problem is personnel or elsewhere or scheme or whatever. And I don't think you get that answer by throwing in a Will Fuller. 
because you don't know if the problem that you, let's say they do that. They add a Will Fuller or a Curtis Samuel, whatever it is, and the thing still looks the same. Now you're left with exactly the same question. It's like, is the problem personnel or is it scheme? At least if you add a Chris Godwin and it still looks the same, now you know the problem is scheme. Yeah, and you got a lot of money invested. Whatever. In like it's it's I, not I good, but at least you know like you've answered the problem. You you have a definitive answer that the issue is now somewhere else. We already know those guys probably won't be available. So PFF.com, Ben Lindsay was trying to give a few fits at receiver early round, late round. He said early round fit, maybe Rashad Bateman. Depends on where his hype goes. He just ran a four three seven allegedly. So everybody's gonna run a four right. three seven. It's right. pro that's day gonna be, season. That's gonna be like twenty eighth. Among receivers, four four three seven to four three nine is the like. Okay, now we get that we have a unique opportunity here because it's not at the combine. We get to like you know boost the numbers a little bit. What's the mo- what's the lowest conceivable number this guy could run that they'll buy? It's got to be high four threes because they're never going to buy as a four two guy. So you know four three seven four three nine. Yeah, yeah, that's everyone's going to run a four three nine this year. Four three nine five on my watch. <laughs> got to go to the hundreds or uh, thousands. Well, you use the, the index finger. You, Only index finger. You can't use thumb. No. Nobody uses thumb. Rookies. Peasants, even. <laughs> uh, Rashad Bateman, I mean, so, look, I think they should attack receiver. I don't think they're getting one of those top three guys. I think in the draft, it would be a good place to attack. They did get Marquise Brown. This is what I'm saying. Like, they got Marquise Brown in the first round a couple years ago. And I think that gave us a lens into how they want to build this offense. And I don't know that they're completely coming and off of that. It did. And I don't know that they're completely coming off of that. That's why I'm expecting, like, I could see Nelson Aguilar in free agency coming off a year where he he was the deep threat that Henry Ruggs could have, would have, should have been for the Raiders. I could see their offseason being like Aguilar in free agency or Deshaun Jackson, take a flyer on Deshaun Jackson to put with Marquise Brown, who's supposed to be the next Deshaun Jackson. So a speed guy, stretch the field guy, and maybe a Rashad Bateman if he is available late first round. Yeah, and I don't and, that. and see what happens there. But so all this talk of the passing game and receivers and blah blah blah, they still need to do a lot of work to patch up the the run game, which is the foundation of all this stuff. Yeah, like, like the results ended up fine down the stretch. The actual run blocking from their interior, uh, Patrick McCarry, uh, Matt Screw is a free agent. Tyre Phillips still hasn't been great. They couldn't a find a center who could snap looking. the ball. Yeah. through two of them they the guard play wasn't great they're potentially losing orlando brown if somebody wants to trade for him suddenly that offensive line which was an absolute rock when they were at their best is now creaky and you know we've this thing that we've been hammering for years that the run blocking is the thing that determines whether your run game is going to be great or not obviously lamar jackson is a piece that nobody else has to be able to plug into that and, and augment what you can do but if the run game isn't there, if the run blocking isn't there, this offense is not going to be at its best. Do you think Orlando Brown could return a first-round pick? Yes. Because you're talking about a viable starter. He's shown that he could play right or left tackle. Mm-hmm. He wants to play left tackle. So teams that really need a left tackle, you think they'd be willing to give up a first? Yeah, I do. Okay. I, I, it's not crazy. I mean, If, if you're if the you're... Ravens, do you do that? I, you have and to entertain it, right? Next man up at, at I mean, right tackle? It, again, it sort of depends where he is on this whole thing. He reportedly wants to play left tackle, is making noises about that, presumably because of the next contract. We'll pay him more at left tackle. So if you're Baltimore at this point, you have to be asking, well, what are our chances of being able to re-sign him for a half reasonable amount of money and keep him at right tackle? And if the answer to that is not much, 
then yeah, take the first round pick and run. If if you could replace, if you're the Ravens from your point of view, if you could get a first rounder for Orlando Brown and then get a more cost controlled first round tackle like a Christian Darisoff from Virginia Tech, who is a mauler and would replace Orlando. Orlando Brown's massive. He's actually not really a mauler by our grades, yeah. right? He's not a guy that goes and has a high percentage of positively graded. He's more Brian plays. McKinney than anything else. Yeah, he just he actually doesn't lose a ton yeah. in the run game. Is is more his benefit. So even though he's 350 pounds. Darisaw is a guy that will absolutely move people at the line of scrimmage, and he would be great in this scheme. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. Those guys would be – that would be a good cost-controlled replacement at right tackle if you could get a first-rounder for Orlando Brown. I would consider that if I'm the Ravens. Attack receiver, as we mentioned. And then defensively, they're one of the few teams you look up and down their cornerback depth chart, and it's really, really good. But you have to continue to look – to the future as Jimmy Smith gets a little bit older and just continuing to have replacements and reinforcements for Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and what they have out there. I think that's the other place that they do need to consider. What do you have going on over there? Not much. Just, you know, planning. Don't worry about it. Sometimes I wonder if you're typing to me, but you're not. No. God, no, I'd never do that. We only talk to each other on on this podcast. Otherwise, otherwise I don't want want any part of you. (laughs) Edge defender, too, with uh, Matthew Judon. I mean, they have, a free agent. they have the usual holes, right? Which is depth, you know, get younger and get younger and cheaper at cornerback, get find a replacement for the edge rusher that consistently year on year you're able to plug into a good defensive system and generate production from. Those usual spots are still issues for Baltimore. We also need to keep an eye on the middle. Like Patrick Queen made a lot of tackles last year, so people think he's great. Grade was atrocious because he wasn't. Um, I, they need a jump from him in year two. He only had about 800 college snaps under his belt. Sure. I mean, and, it, look, I'm not saying like yeah. he's, you write him off because he graded like crap in year one. He's so active, so fast. He's always around the ball. There's a lot to like. But if that doesn't get better in year two, suddenly you're getting into Ernie Sims territory of, well, this guy's really fast and athletic, but he's not actually getting to the right place very often. So how useful is that? I'm going to give them a Lynn McNeil too, the nose tackle out of NC State. Could be the next Brandon Williams on the uh, interior. Run stopper, Tyler Shelvin from LSU, too, if you just want that true two-down nose. They've done a good job of developing those early-down run stoppers in Baltimore. So, offensive line does need some love. They can get creative with Orlando Brown to replace him, but attack receiver like crazy. Baltimore fixed? Sure. All right, great. Hometown Cincinnati Bengals. I think we make it through the north today. Yeah. Make it through the north. AFC East and north, and we'll do – it's going to end up being four shows, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. Everybody and people need this. And that'll be leading right into free agency. We'll fix all your teams before free agency. Cincinnati Bengals. It all starts along the offensive line. So how are they going to do this? Well, they're in they're one of the teams that are reasonably well positioned for Panay Sewell. Did you just get a test email? Is that what you're working on? No. Oh, I have a um, test email. NFL podcast. There you go. Came through. You wanna you wanna drop that out now then? So people can email us. We want we want mailbag questions. What are we asking for? Yeah, yeah. Just mailbag questions, interaction. Some of the best content we have received from our listeners, the millions and millions, were I think the particularly the best ones are when they were we were trying to fix the game. Innovate. You know, the NFL yeah. has been the same for a while. It's minor changes here or there. Let's change the game. We had people coming up with this like genius system of surrounding your target on a Hail Mary with a box of uh, interlinked players holding arms. You couldn't get through the box, so there would be pass interference. Um, So all these kinds of crazy plays, any ideas that you've had. But just generally, you know, send us some 
send us some mail. We'll read out some emails, the best ones. We're not going to so read out the bad ones. NFL podcast. NFL podcast, singular. NFL, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. At PFF.com. Yes. Do you ever give out your email? You, no. We, we both have special emails now. We do. I don't, I don't know. Don't want, people find it, though. It's not that hard to guess. Uh, but, it's not uh, that tough, but. Yeah, that this is the one to use. NFL podcast. NFL P O D C A S T. One podcast. Yes. Singular podcast. This one. At PFF.com. Do not ask us questions about two for one or any <laughs> of the other podcasts. But send us email. Make it good. And, and then we might read it out. Okay. So we'll we'll push that even more. NFL podcast at PFF.com. All right, let's go fix our hometown Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. So as I was saying, they're reasonably well positioned to draft a Panay Sewell, who was as close to a generational talent, a tackle, as as tackle gets, I guess, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I'm interested in sure Surest first-round pick since Robert Gallery. <laughs> yeah, right. Daniel <laughs> Jeremiah and I think others continue to put Rashawn Slater yeah. from Northwestern above Panay Sewell. The, the fascinating thing about that is Rashawn Slater is like 6'3", and just moves really well, Like looks like a tight end a little bit. He, of he just feels like the guy the NFL is like, oh, watch out, the, the arm length. Uh, by the way, go listen to the Joe Thomas interview from the last show when we talk about arm length, the importance of it. We got personal with Joe asking about his arm length and all that stuff. He, he got a little defensive. But like Rashawn Slater feels like the guy they would move to guard. And Daniel Jeremiah has him in his mock draft as the first tackle off the board rather consistently. Mm. So I want to know, what are we missing? What are we seeing in Panay Sewell? Highest graded true freshman we've ever seen. Highest graded sophomore we've ever seen. Everything looks right. Looks the part. Renner put zero weaknesses in the NFL draft guide. What are we not seeing from an analytics and tape standpoint that the NFL is seeing? Because I think Sewell should be the top tackle off the board. How much do you think it's just sample size? He didn't, he didn't play this year, right? The only – yeah, but Slater didn't either is the thing. Like the only thing you could think of is like – People thinking his off-field personality or something there, the opt-out. So using something against him that I'm not seeing show up on film. Or or maybe he wasn't challenged enough in pass protection. I don't know. But the kid's only 20 years old. That, I think, is looks a huge thing. dominant. Yeah. So his, his pass-blocking numbers are not that special compared to some other players. Like, if you look at how much pressure he actually coughed up, I mean, it's it's a small amount, right? But it's not like we haven't never seen this before. So eight total pressures in 2018, uh, seven in, in 2019. Like those are figures that we've seen from college prospects come out before. It's not like he just was never gave up anything, complete shutdown, absolutely dominant. But his grade is nuts. Like his run blocking grade last or in 2019, 95.7. Pass blocking grade, 91.1. But when you then factor in how old he was when he did that. The dude was doing that at 19 years old, despite being 6'6 and 325, and move it like he doesn't move like a guy who's 325 pounds. He moves like a guy who's 25 pounds less than that. He's, I, he's so big. He's the perfect combination of all these things. He's so big, so fast, with great tape, and who did his best work at the age of 19 and hasn't taken damage between 19 and now. I don't quite understand why you would put other people ahead of him, but people do. So now here's my question at number five, and we've asked and answered this on the podcast before. Would you go Panay Sewell at five or consider a receiver knowing that they already have uh, T. Higgins, you already have Tyler Boyd, the old theory that, you know, 
receivers who get open, protect the quarterback as much as the offensive line does. Do you go that route? Does that route depend on what happens in free agency? Do you go hard in free? I, I think they have to go hard in free agency no matter what for offensive linemen. I think the fallout of that is if you still have a tackle need, Panay Sewell makes sense. You move Jonah Williams from left tackle to right tackle, which he did play early in his career at Alabama. I'm feeling really good about my tackle situation then. But I love the idea of adding a Jamar Chase if he's there, Devontae Smith if he's there, to Joe Burrow, and that is one way to protect him by getting guys open. Jamar Chase in particular will be enticing because obviously of the college connection. The Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase thing was was what was so dominant the last time Jamar Chase played football. So that will be extremely uh, tempting. I think generally, though, it almost directly because of what happened this year, like they just need to guarantee offensive line upgrades. So um, top two guards on the board, Brandon Sheriff and Joe Tooney. Joe Tooney, a somewhat local guy over here. They've been linked to the Bengals quite a bit. Or he's been linked. Road. What's that? An hour up the road. That's what you said. Yeah. yeah. So Tooney, I think, would be a good target. They definitely, I mean, they, they need help all across. Uh, everything but left tackle. So if you get Tooney this offseason. Which, which puts them in a similar spot to the Jets last year, which is, remember, like throwing five darts at this does not necessarily guarantee anything. They should be chasing sure things. And Panay Sewell is as sure a thing, again, <laughs> the most sure thing since Robert Gallery. The, he's as sure a thing as it gets in terms of offensive line. So they should, I think, be drafting him. Like, the difference between Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith is marginal, in my opinion. The difference between Panay Sewell and most tackles you're ever going to see coming out in the first round is massive. So grab the guy with the bigger difference between him and the next guy up. If the Bengals off, so if they went and they paid a lot of money for Joe Tooney, we're projecting him to get upwards of 15 million, 14, 15 million. Pay the money for Joe Tooney, draft Panay Sewell, move Jonah Williams to right tackle. Bobby Hart essentially just gets pushed out of the starting lineup. Mm hmm. So then you've got Sewell and Jonah Williams at tackle. Solid. Really good. Like that. Tooney, what been one of the best guards over the last couple of years. He's at left guard. Now you're creeping back toward average. Now you're yeah. looking at Trey Hopkins and Billy Price battling it out at center. Xavier Suafilo. He's not a free agent, right? Or Quentin Spain. Like if Quentin Spain. Quentin Spain can be your decent starting right guard. He wasn't great he's when the Bengals picked him up last year. But if he's he has O-lineman track. four. Yeah. That's not too bad. And he has You're... a history of being better than that. Like, this was, again, like, so he's been a better player than he showed last year for Cincinnati. How much of that last year was what was around him? Right. Like, offensive linemen don't work in a vacuum either, and that was a disaster around Quentin Spain. He's probably a better player than he showed. Then you could even go Ted Karras, number 146 on our free agent list, not projected to get a ton. And he's at least an upgrade from what Trey Hopkins was at center. It's close. I mean, it's not – Hopkins was much improved last year. I'm just saying, I think there are there are moves to be made in free agency free agency to get them better. Quentin Spain had five straight seasons with a PFF pass blocking grade of 70 or higher before arriving in Cincinnati and then had one of 44.8. Yeah. Um, allowed, so go with those previous yeah, years. Allowed 19 total pressures last year. I think there's a you would have a reasonable case to make to say last year is not Quentin Spain. There's a better player in there if the offensive line around him is better. I mean, this is what we're always saying about the strategy. You get a guy... Kelvin Beecham is like the perfect example as a tackle. He's not the best tackle on the free agent market. He's not a very good run blocker. He's a good pass blocker. You kind of know what you're going to get. And if Kelvin Beecham is your fourth best offensive lineman, you're okay. You're going to be all right. If he, it, it, Quentin Spain, if he's your fourth best offensive lineman or fifth best, you're, you're going to be okay. And, and 
and that's fine. You don't want him as the top guy, and right now he's probably the second. He's got the second best track record of anybody on that O line behind Jonah Williams. Um, now, my problem with the Bengals here is if they spend all of their energy and resources on the O line, I still think Burrow always needs more people to throw to. AJ Green, a free agent, all but assume, we assume he's not coming back, right? And even if he does, yeah. doesn't have much left. I want wide receiver three to go with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. What's the best style receiver? Is this another place where you go super speed receiver to go? You got you got huge T. Higgins, your Boyd who could play outsider in the slot. If we're going to unlock the deep passing game with Joe Burrow, is this where they need a little bit of speed? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, there's too many players on that receiving group right now that are big targets, good at contested catches, don't necessarily separate that well. The one missing skill set is the one that John Ross is supposed to bring who hasn't. So find, so find the actual John Ross, the guy that has speed and separates and wins. There's a On the turn in the second round, there's a lot of guys that we have – uh, value on that are more slot receivers like Elijah Moore from Ole Miss and Kadarius Tony from Florida and however you think of Rondell Moore would Rondell Moore if he's there early second potentially be a good fit if you got Panay Sewell in the first round and Rondell Moore in the second round you yeah. feeling good about that mix yeah I think so I think they're another perfect test case for this idea of hey look wide receivers the last couple of years that have been pretty easy to find in the draft uh, the first not just the first round but the first two three rounds you've been able to get good players that have an impact right away another argument for don't take one at, uh, at in the top five draft the tackle that might not be available in rounds two or three and take whoever is there when you're picking again for wide receiver i think there's a definite case to be made and in this in this year maybe more than others because so many of the guys that are going to be in that second and third round range or even just late first, say, are those speed guys that ha have that skill set you want anyway. I will say, we mentioned earlier, the tackle draft class does look pretty good. There are capable starters up to 40 on our draft board. My concern still on the defensive side of the ball, though. The two out of their three best players, Carl Lawson, William Jackson, they are free agents. Jesse Bates was the highest graded player at you know on the defense last year by far at safety. How are you going to replace a William Jackson or a Carl Lawson? We talked about franchise one of them. I mean, are they going to try to lock up both guys? I feel like those are pretty key pieces on a defense that doesn't have a ton of talent. Agreed. Um, the defense has lost. It was a few years ago where they, they weren't playing well. They weren't grading well. They were struggling as a unit. But talent-wise, across the board, there was actually quite a lot of, of, of ability on the defense. Now – it's almost all been eroded away, and particularly, you know, if Carl Lawson bounces in free agency, it's like Jesse Bates and nobody else. Um, they, that entire defense, top to bottom, needs an injection of talent from somewhere. Yeah, I'm not sure wh which way they're going to go there. I think, man, I would love to see Jackson still back there, though, building around him at corner. Lawson, I feel like they could replace a little bit easier, um, you know, piece together the pass rush linebacker they've invested in in some young players they struggled there they linebacker's been a massive issue for the Bengals over the last couple of years I just think they have to hit corner and pass rusher first before they even get to trying to fix any of the linebacker positions yeah yep did we fix the Bengals yeah they're fixed so we're gonna go Panay also the first yeah round? Panay we also desperately need Joe Burrow to come back 100%. Oh, yeah. Burrow's going to come back 100%. That's what I'm expecting. By the way, the alternative to Panay in the first round is Jamar Chase, Devontae, whatever, and then you get a tackle on the turn. Samuel Cosme from Texas or whoever, Alex Leatherwood from Bama. 
reunite him and uh, Jonah Williams. So that could that could be an answer. Yeah, the the Bengals they're not in good shape. I mean, there's a reason this team has a has a bad record. We had uh, Joe Burrow as the number one overall pick the year before that. They they are not in a good shape. But there is because they got Burrow, there is a path a pathway to success. There, there are steps along the way we're going to have to take, and it's not going to happen in one offseason, but we're, we're moving. We're moving right. in the right direction. Two more teams in the AFC North. Cleveland Browns. They'll, they'll fix the Steelers as well, figure out what they're doing at quarterback. Biggest issues for the Browns. What are we looking at? And l- let me pose this question. Do you view the, the, the Browns as a 10-6 and six team looking to get better or were they like an 8-8 eight and eight team that kind of hit the high end of variance and they actually have a lot more work to do than maybe the playoff appearance would indicate? Uh, more the former. I think they're a good team. Um, they're a good team that's massively imbalanced in terms of all the talent is on offense and the defense is generally not good, Miles Garrett notwithstanding. Um, so they've they've got a lot of work to do to be one of the best teams in the NFL. But – the same, the same thing to a degree can be said about most teams, right? Look at Kansas City. Like their defense is nowhere near as good as their offense. That's just the makeup of this team. But I, I think this was the realization of what the Browns should have been a year, a year before that, where we were like, oh, look, they deployed all these resources in one go because they thought Baker Mayfield was the answer. Then everything fell apart and none of it worked. But before last year, they were the favorites of the AFC North for the first time ever right the first time that it's been the afc north and they've been in it they were the favorites for it um and obviously everything fell apart everyone got fired at the end of it but this was why like this team was there they just needed somebody to come in put the pieces back together and and head it in the right direction and that's what stefanski did so i think this is a playoff caliber team that has a lot of pieces that say they can be even better I, i think there's no reason baker mayfield is tapped out at his potential so, yeah, I think they're they're there. So, I think the biggest needs are in the back seven, right? Just be, getting better uh, better talent around Denzel Ward. I like what Ronnie Harrison did as a strong safety last year coming in. There were some rumors about Marshawn Lattimore maybe being on the trading block and Cleveland being interested. Uh, Ohio State, you know, reunion with him and Denzel Ward. I think that'd be awesome, by the way. That would be great. I wonder if the opposite of what I said with the Patriots might be true, where I said the Patriots could give up a little defense to get some offense. If you're the Browns, would you give up Odell Beckham? Knowing Rashad, Rashad Higgins is a free agent. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a nice little rookie season. Knowing that Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are your starting receivers, would you give up Odell Beckham, put him on the trading block, if maybe it's getting you in the mix for Marshawn Lattimore or more draft capital or whatever it might be? Do you give up a little offense? Stefanski's last two teams were pretty much like a one-two punch at receiver, right? You have wide receiver one and two. They don't they don't run a ton of three wide. It's a lot of two tight end type of stuff. We build most teams thinking like get as deep as you can at receiver. Do the Browns change that, get two good receivers, complementary pieces, and attack cornerback like crazy because cornerback two is still a question. Greedy Williams is there, second-round pick, hasn't didn't play last year, but – he could be the guy opposite Denzel Ward. Funny you should ask that, Steve. If you go to episode 47 of the PFF NFL Daily, that is, uh, that's the question we posed. Should the Browns keep Odell Beckham Jr.? Um, and, you know, spoiler alert for the podcast, but you should go listen to that. Um, spoiler alert, they should keep him. Don't trade him. Look, 
I get that all the evidence right now says that Odell Beckham has actually not had a particularly positive contribution to this team. And if anything, they get better when he isn't on the field. However, I think that's coincidental. I, I think he just hasn't been there while the offense got its stuff together. It's not a causative effect that losing Odell Beckham made you a dramatically better offense. I think he just went down at a corresponding time where you face worse defenses and actually got yourself uh, back on track. And then the other thing is, even if it was causative, that's not an Odell Beckham problem. That's a you problem. That's like the Panthers being better with Christian McCaffrey off the field. Like Christian McCaffrey is one of the best players in the NFL. If you're worse when he's out there, that means you're doing something wrong. And it's on you to figure out what that is and to address it. And even if that means scale back the amount of time you give him the ball, like figure out even if it means do less right? yes like even the if answer means, could be do less with this great use player. your great player less than you are because currently it's having diminishing returns the same thing i think is true with odell beckham that even if you discover that he is having a causative negative effect on your offense that's a problem with what you're doing not with odell beckham he is an incredibly talented playmaker he is a legitimate number one wide receiver when he's healthy and so far you have yet to see the returns from that. I don't think you should bail on it now and watch somebody else reap the benefits. By the way, just look, I, it's solid analysis. I, I, would, I would still dangle him to see what the, what the return could be. Because, again, I, I feel like you did kind of prove you don't need him necessarily. Sure. You do have to replace Richard Higgins. You, you still have to make some kind of investment at receiver. I'd rather have OBJ than not have him. But if we're talking about getting another first round pick back and getting, you know, replace him with a younger receiver, what I think those discussions can at least be had. For all the teams that we were trying to fix the offensive line, Bengals fans in particular, listen up. The way the Browns did this last year, taking their offensive line, going from one of the worst to the best in the NFL. The way they did it, they already had two pretty good pieces in Joel Batonio and JC Treader. Good foundation. Bengals, you only have one. But you spent the money on Jack Conklin at right tackle. First round pick on Jedrick Wills at left tackle. And then Wyatt Teller became like the wild card. And this is why I'm saying like, it's okay if Quentin Spain is O-lineman four on your team. Wyatt Teller, by all accounts, was like, came in with the lowest expectations of every any offensive lineman. But you bought low, even the previous year, you buy low on a guy that underachieved for a couple of years. Linemen get better in years three and four. That's how you build it. Wyatt Teller becomes our highest graded guard. In the NFL. That's how the Browns have the best offensive line in the NFL, plus Stefanski and the system helped. PFF grades are 60, 57, and 92. Yeah, I, I'm not tell. saying that was expected. I'm saying if like, if you get linemen in year three who were grading in the 60s, there's a chance they're going to break out based off our numbers historically. Sure. And more Wyatt Teller bets are smart yeah. around the NFL. Yes. Austin Corbett was the same thing with the Rams. Agreed. I just think that there's very little evidence in terms of Wyatt Teller's career to suggest that was going to happen. The Browns, And I'm saying when Wyatt Teller is your fifth lineman yeah. coming into the season, but the you have a chance to hit like that, and it's awesome. The Browns are the reverse example of the Jets. They're like an example of what happens when everything you do turns out well, including the things you didn't really do. Um, like they, they made a reasonable amount of moves in that offensive line. Every single one of them hit. They uh, big free agency splash in Jack Conklin hit. He was a career year is as good as he's ever been. Um, first round pick in Jedrick Wills hit. Played pretty well. Um, Wyatt Teller wasn't even really a move. You already had him in the building. No real uh, evidence of him going to take a jump forward. Boom. 
best run blocking player in the NFL last year and then the pieces that you didn't move around like they just they did the right things they made they were they were good in terms of I think that they were they they made moves that you could be as confident as possible in right big free agent splash Jack Conklin big you know first round pick Jedrick Wills and then the guy you already had but like if you're going to take swings at it be as confident as possible yeah like Conklin had a history of being good yes that was the guy they gave money to. His floor a lot of money. was really high. Yeah, I mean, George Fant had a history of not being good, and that was the guy the Jets gave money to. So, yeah. I mean, that's, there's calculated risks in there. Anyway, Browns are looking good on the offensive line. Definitely interested to see what they do at wide receiver and playmaker. If they do look to add more from a receiving talent standpoint, uh, with Higgins going, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a nice number three. It showed he could be a nice little vertical threat with some size. Austin Hooper at tight end, they invested heavily in last year as well. Harrison Bryant was a good complimentary piece. Maybe David Njoku's back on the trading block for the third straight year. That's the extra tight end. But it's going to come down to this defense. And again, I think it's it's volume attacking in the secondary, volume attacking at cornerback opposite Denzel Ward. I would also like to see, there again, another team that's potentially in the J.J. Watt sweepstakes. Man, I would love to see J.J. Watt inside on the Browns defense next to miles garrett imagine yeah. those two combining on a pass rush um or even just attacking individually that would, i think would move the needle for them hugely olivier vernon's a free agent he's 30 he got hurt at the end of the season he's low on our free agent draft board only because of the injury he's going to miss some time next year almost assuredly right he's 130 on our free agent board but he is a big loss yeah along the defensive line larry Joby. Really weird player because his highlights are really good. We say this a lot. There are there are people around the league that really like him, but he's played a ton of snaps and has not graded well. I trust our grades. I trust the fact that you know he he hasn't been as uh, dominant as a run defender as he looked like he was going to be earlier in his career, and he's never been a great pass rusher. He's only 27, but he hits free agency. I don't think it's as big of a loss as it feels. So, but. It's, it's it's a lot of snaps that they need to replace on the D-line. Vernon is a great example of what the flexibility of having a ton of cap space can do for you uh, or just why sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world to overpay. Like, there's no way that Olivier Vernon justified the contract that he was handed by Cleveland. On the other hand, that guy has generated an absolute ton of pressure for the Browns since he's been there um, and for everybody else. Like, the guy has always generated pressure. He's maybe never lived up to that, uh, the, the player that he looked like he might be, that, the breakout year in Miami, where he had 81 total pressures, a pass rushing grade of 88. That was suggested he might be on the track to be a truly great edge rusher. But, you know, first year with the Giants, he had 88 pressures. And then every single year, he's had a decent number of pressures and a reasonable pass rushing grade. So this past season with Cleveland, 51 pressures. It's a lot to replace. It's Sure, you look at it and you say, okay, we can do without that guy. He was getting old and we're paying him a lot of money. But you shouldn't just dismiss what it is he was bringing to the team. Yeah, I'm, the, the Browns are, when, when people mock for the Browns, linebacker has been a huge need for a while. A lot of people are slotting linebackers in there. I think I did it the first time around too. There might be some edge rush value there in the draft. Jalen Phillips, we, we moved up to number 28 on the PFF draft board. 6'5", 266, honestly might be a top 15 type of player in this draft former five-star went through ucla and miami some questions about off field and quit football at one point i believe right so he there's some question marks there about his future but he could be a good value pick in the 20s to be a complimentary piece to miles garrett gregory rousseau i think the nfl might be higher than us on him we got him at number 23 but a developmental really long 
six foot six player. I, I think edge might be a place they attack in the draft. And then I would love to see power moves at corner, whether it is a Marshawn Lattimore trade. Like I'd be willing a St- Stephon Gilmore trade. I'd be willing to go, go crazy to get that one, two punch with Denzel Ward and Stephon Gilmore and, and let that be the thing that's going to move us to the next level. Because I think, I think it'd be a mistake if the Browns think, hey, we're 10 and 6 and just a couple pieces away. I think there's some big pieces away, but like kind of, but they've got some really good foundation built already. Yep. That all makes sense? Uh-huh. Great. Fix the Browns. Now, how are we going to fix the Pittsburgh Steelers? Mm. This is a mess. Yeah. What are they going to do? Well, they're in trouble because their quarterback is probably coming back. <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger. Let's assume he's going to, you know, make some moves in terms of his uh, his contract to free up a little bit of space, because um, right now they're projected at like a ton of negative space. Correct? Yeah. Um, Roethlisberger is going to give them a little bit of flexibility, but he's probably coming back. Um, and Roethlisberger playing the way he did in twenty twenty is not good enough for this team to get far into the playoffs. He's probably good enough for them to get to the playoffs, but I don't know if they can win-win with him. All right. I always reference my Pittsburgh radio hits. Every week I try to give them a little bit of optimism. So I have to, I view it through the Pittsburgh lens. All right. How do you make this thing work, right? I'm going to go back to the article I read. I wrote prior to last season about mostly guys like Derek Carr and we've things we've seen with Matthew Stafford previously in their career. Guys who could throw the ball down the field, who hit a point where they were super ultra conservative to the detriment of the offense average depth of target among the lowest in the league that's where big ben is right now so say what you want about his physical limitations i don't think he's at the point where he just like can't throw the ball 30 yards down the field like he's an nfl quarterback he could still throw the ball down the field i think if the steelers are going to make a run because they're they've got cap issues the roster is going to get worse the one thing they can do is just say ben chuck it down the field and I know it sounds so simple. This is spreadsheet football, Last right? Stand, just go down swinging. Like go, you're no, on the way out. But we all seriously, know it. just just let rip. And we we've we've said you run more play action and more QB stinks. That has that has to be a part of it. Look, this is our last chance with you, Big Ben. We're not going to have 15 play drives where you dink and dunk with three yard passes over and over again. That's not going to happen. We're going to throw the ball down the field. Chase Claypool's going to be our featured target. We're losing Juju. We've got Deontay Johnson who could run some routes as well. We'll get another threat in there as well, right? Throw the ball down the field. Your average depth of target's going to go up. What was it this year? 7.6. It's going to go to 9.6, right? You're going to go from 7.6 to 9.6, maybe 10. We're going to start throwing the ball down the field. You're going to have to hold it a tick longer. Now, the risky part here is their offensive line, which has been the epitome of creep back toward average or better they're getting a little depleted as well. Retirement of Hall of Famer, Marquise Pouncey. Pouncey's out. Alejandro Villanueva is a, a free agent. So that needs work as well. But I keep calling, that's where play action helps. Okay? That's where play action helps your pass protection. So there needs to be a team-wide change that say, okay, we're rallying around Roethlisberger. And given the ingredients we have, what's the best way? To let Ben cook, and it's letting him cook throwing the ball down the field. By the way, I, we've had a sort of sneaky deployment on premium stats. Uh, people for years have been clamoring for big-time throws and big-time throw percentage. Wait, in, that's in? In the data points. I'm looking at premium stats right now for the Steelers, 
and Ben Roethlisberger with his 26 big-time throws and 18 turnover-worthy plays, and the percentages are in there, as is average depth of target, all kinds of uh, good stuff. I knew this was being worked on. I didn't know it was making it into premium already. It's in. It's in there right now. I thought this was like, hey, maybe in the summer. We'll see some of this. Nope. Also, you know, pressure data all in the main uh, quarterback report. That is incredible. So go, if you PFF Elite subscribers, go check it out. Premium Stats. Uh, Premium Stats 2.0 is a part of your Elite package. So if you don't have it, go check it out. Big time throw percentage. Turnover worthy throw percentage is in there. A dot. Man, I'm going to be playing with this. I mean, I have access to it anyway. But seeing it in premium and all in one spot for our fans, that is fantastic. I really didn't know. Hmm. There you go. So breaking news. This is where you were looking at his A dot stuff, huh? Yeah. Was that lowest? What was he? No, was not even not that close. Maybe he was three and a half yards lower than Mason Rudolph. Yeah. See, Mason was throwing it down the field. Yeah. Alex Smith still the lowest A dot in the league. So anyway, what are your thoughts on my strategy of one last hurrah for Big Ben? I mean, I I don't hate it. I think it seems like a shame to go out with that level of sort of whimper in terms of your passing game, right? I'm going to be a game-managing quarterback. We're just going to try and dink and dunk, and it's not really working. So, oh, dear. Like, if you're going to go down, go down like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Go down YOLOing the ball left, right, and center and go, I've got some receivers. I've got some talent. We've got a defense that's amazing. We're just going to, we're going to take some swings. And, okay, it may end up as a, a, a glorious blaze of – uh disaster and everything goes up in flames but hell at least it was fun that's the thing like that's why it's it's lazy we've been lazy too but drew Brees legitimately didn't have the arm to get the ball down the field unless the guy was wide open yeah ryan fitzpatrick's been working with that level of arm though his entire <laughs> career so it's a lazy analysis to say this guy's old he can't throw it down the field with big ben what you have to understand is it's going to be lower percentage right so last year Roethlisberger completed 66 percent of his passes great cool that might go down a little bit but it doesn't matter because you're going to hit on a 20 yarder every now and again yeah if you go one for three down the field right that's that's as good as going three for three for 10 like for 20 yards right so you got to throw the ball down the field and it might look be a little bit more uncomfortable you might need another playmaker in there as well um, or maybe it's, hey, it's James Washington's last hurrah, too. He does his best work down there. And it's Washington and Claypool down the field. And Deontay Johnson's your high-volume possession receiver. So I think there are um, – yes, I did get that email. Um, the other thing is that, like, Roethlisberger at this point makes a reasonable number of mistakes. Like he had 18 turnover-worthy plays last year. Per premium stats 2.0. Exactly. PFF Elite. His, uh, his turnover-worthy play rate – was 2.7 which isn't you know it's not huge not egregious but the point is it's like the same number of turnover worthy plays as some quarterbacks that offset those with significantly more big plays so it's the, it's the exact same number as Derek Carr who had 11 more big time throws to offset those it's um it's the same kind of number it's one more than Russell Wilson who had 43 big time throws versus 26 like Roethlisberger if you're going to make that number of mistakes like you're not efficient enough to be the game managing dink and dunk quarterback. You're making too many errors, at which point it's not doing you any good. So let's, if you're going to be that um, turnover worthy prone, let's just start throwing it deep. Let's take some chances. I'm with you, man. That's that's go. that's what you need to do. Let's now, do defensively, they they're going to have some overhaul too, right? They've got so, they've got one of the worst cap spa- uh, cap situations in the NFL currently, about 19 million under. That may have changed since then 
Um, either way, it's under, and they're going to need to potentially make some cuts. Joe Hayden could be on the cutting block, right, at some point. They need – and Mike Hilton is a free agent. Bud Dupree is a free agent. What do they have to do defensively here just to kind of maintain being one of the best defenses in the league? Yeah, they got to pick up some of those lower uh, risk, lower – uh, price there they need to shop in the bargain bin a free agency which sounds bad but i think is actually where the best free agent business is always done yeah if you can pick up some of those guys like honestly mike hilton shouldn't go anywhere they should re-sign him to a you know whatever deal they can get but even if he does this is a great year for mike hilton's there's a ton of them out there right nickel roby coleman a guy who's had mike hilton levels of play in the past isn't coming to free agency off his best season but there's a bunch of guys like that desmond king who has elite 90 plus grades as a slot corner in the past again not this year um troy hill troy your boy a whole ton of these guys available so grab one grab one of those guys as a relatively modest investment in free agency and pick up the slack that you're going to lose with a guy like mike hilton otherwise um but i, I think a few of those picks just target those guys i i, I want to circle back to the offensive line before we wrap it up but yeah defensively I think that is part of the strategy. They will get Devin Bush back. I was posed the question again on radio. What is the best case scenario? Part of it's Big Ben throwing the ball down the field. The other thing, I just think the roster is going to get a little depleted and it's going to look uncomfortable. But if, do they need – let me pose this question. Do they need a 2017 Saints draft to be a Super Bowl team next year? Like, Is that the only thing? that in The 2017 Saints draft is like five legitimate players. For Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchak, Alvin Kamara, Marcus Williams, Trey Hendrickson. Do they need a draft that is so good at important positions as well? Like that's the only chance the Steelers have because they're competing with an upstart Bengals team maybe, but also the Browns and the Ravens. Um, I don't know if they need it. I think there is a scenario whereby they can be a contender. So remember, this was, they went 11-0. Now, I know at the time we were saying 11-0 was a bit of a, uh, a mirage. It didn't accurately reflect as good as they were, but neither did the collapse that followed. They were somewhere in the middle. So this is a good team. Um, and even with the attrition and roster turnover of this offseason, they will remain a good team. But they do need a, to find a way of going from good to great in the AFC where you're going to have to get past the Chiefs or whatever every single year. And it's a challenge. I don't think you need necessarily – to have an insane draft like that to make that jump, I think Roethlisberger is the key to that. I mean, he was coming back off a bad elbow injury. I don't know how much that impacted what he could do last year, but if Roethlisberger plays a little bit better and a little bit more aggressively this year, I think that moves the needle more than pretty much anything else they can do. By the way, one of the suggestions I liked for players they could target is uh, Austin Ryder at center. And it just it would be kind of hilarious to me if they went from Hall of Famer Marquise Pouncey to Austin Ryder, the seventh round uh, center from back in whenever the hell he was drafted, 2015, who was a journeyman, is now on his second or third team at this point, and upgraded. I just think that would be pretty funny. And it would be an upgrade, by the way, Pouncey to Austin Ryder at this point. Just on his snaps alone. Um, that is where they have to play a little whack-a-mole in my concern. Uh, Matt Filer, who, you know, PFF favorite hitting free agency at left guard. Ali Villanueva, their starting left tackle free agent. Marquise Pouncey, retired. Uh, Okorowa, um, I'm not saying his first name, I'm sorry. I've never, never mastered it. Never mastered it. 
Come on, I can't click on his name right now and it's not showing up on my depth chart. The whole I can't see the whole this is annoying. Cut that. A Corafor at right tackle was a little below average last year, but he's technically a returning starter. Zach Banner got hurt, had shown some flashes before. He was but it's supposed like, to be the starter, right? Right. So I mean if it if it is Banner back, fine. David DeCastro at right guard. Kevin Dotson could play left guard, showed some flashes as a rookie. Fine. We're still looking at a starting left tackle and a starting center. I mean, I really think they're just going to draft Creed Humphrey in the first round, and he's a 10-year Hall, Hall of Famer. That's what, You have to draft centers at the back end of the first round. That's what you do yeah. in the 20s. Um, so my concern is the offensive line has just been this like stalwart. They have not been great from a run block standpoint. I know everybody's spending this offseason talking about the run game um, in Pittsburgh. And they're going to, you know, James Conner's a free agent. They're going to get a free agent back and all that stuff. That would be my concern is if this offseason is like investing in a little bit of better run blocking up front and a better running back and, and, you're, and you're not able to make your defense a little bit better and replace what's, what you're losing there or, or grab another playmaker offensively. So I think they just, they're going to get stretched yeah. from a resource standpoint. Figuring out where to deploy that is going to be a challenge. They're in a really tough spot because I think they need, they need Roethlisberger to be better than he was in 2020, and I just don't know that there's a giant chance of that happening. Well, Steelers, just go read my article. That's how we got a little bit more production out of Derek Carr last year, got him throwing the ball down the field, and it showed up in their offensive production. So Steelers, get aggressive, throw it down the field, and uh, remain status quo defensively as best you can. Fixed. Done. Man, we, we were going to do the whole AFC. You kidding me? No, that was never going to happen. That was never going to happen. All right, we'll do the rest of the AFC next time around. Yep. And we got a whole NFC to get through. That's uh -huh. fun, though. We want to give every team all that love and just talk about what's available and, and how, to, how to rebuild your squad. Premium stats, having those stats is an absolute game changer, so I highly recommend going check checking out PFF Elite and see what we added. Big-time throws, turnover-worthy throws. There's all sorts of different stuff. Um, we should tweet out some of this. Maybe do like a little video to show the folks what's in there now because sure. it's awesome. Yep. But we could do that. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back reviewing everything AFC and NFC over these next couple shows. Mm -hmm. See you guys Thursday. <laughs>